Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew Estate Studios in California. It's episode 221 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Jay Davis of Blue Smoke of Dallas, who is making his primetime debut. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Dagos Race Cigars introduces another chapter of the saga, the Saga Celeste. So there's a Spanish word that means leisure after work and the spirit is the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celeste is a perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celeste carries a blend of Cuyolo Lore and Peloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Clara wrapper that generously delivers with elegance and surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Celeste. And by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand requires tobacco to have been carefully hand-selected and well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigar is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Estate Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double Age 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Bottle Bourbon Barrel Age, Perdomo Lot 23, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the new Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And I want to mention Aganorsa Leaf. Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorsa Leaf stands out because of the distinctive flavor of our Cotojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds cultivated by Cuban Agronomist in the best lands in Jalapa Nestle, Nicaragua. When you smoke one of our JFR, JFR Lunatic, Guardian of Pharma Casa Fernandez cigars, you experience the unique taste and aroma that makes Aganorsa Leaf special. Smoke one today and enjoy the signature flavor of Aganorsa Leaf. And finally, I want to mention Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Diplomat app via mobile device. Keep up with everything going on Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes or Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California Studios for the Primetime Show. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Episode 221. Today is Thursday, March 3rd, 2000. 2022. This is Will Cooper here. I'm in the Perdomo Scott Studios on the Black Stage here in Indian Trail, North Carolina. And I'm reunited after we've been apart for a few weeks here uh, by the one and only my good friend, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How's it going, Will? It's been almost a month, I think, since me and you've done a show, I think. Quite some time, yes. yes yeah, I mean, you, you took a nice, well-deserved vacation and yes. I took some time off. So, um, yeah, it's, so it seems like it's been forever here. I was like... Uh, when I was looking at things, yeah. Yeah. So I hope you had a ta- good time in uh, the Dominican and Florida. You 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 were missed. You were definitely missed. Um looked like everybody had a fun time. I did. You know, I did check developing palettes every day because I wanted to make sure like, who I was going to see if there was a review out there. Oh, yeah. I I, I, not, I try not to submarine you any, anymore on your trips. I, no, I only, <laughs> I, only got, I only got one. Um, why does developing palettes hate us on this whole trip? So that was understood. Understood. That, and I think I told you who it was. So it wasn't yes. Too bad. 
but no, it's a good trip. I mean, it's a good trip, Aaron. And I, I, I it's kind of funny. I, I, I think you would actually enjoy both of the, uh, the pro cigar and the great smoke pieces. Um, so they did just two different events, but, uh, it's, it's tiring. Um, I'm not doubles. I'm not splitting up these anymore. So I'm either doing one or the other going forward. It's, yeah. it's, it's too much. And I, I was exhausted as well, you know? So, yep. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there's a bunch of stories. I'll have over the weeks, like, uh, <laughs> to say, but, uh, you know, like, like, I'll just say one thing, the cab situation in the DR was terrible. Yeah. I had cabs that were refusing to take me to my original hotel. And luckily I got into, uh, the race compound, AKA the debonair house, uh, thanks to John Michelle Louis. Right. Um, because otherwise it would have been a very difficult week. Yeah. And uh, originally, I didn't think I could get in there. I thought they were all booked up. And then he, mm-hmm. I actually messaged it. And he's like, no, no, you, you want to come here? I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, right. <laughs> so I nice. But awesome. And then just one thing before, we, I know we'll probably hit on it sometime again tonight. But uh, so baseball is officially delayed, right? Officially delayed. Yes. It's actually not a bad thing. Because I think it was like, if we do the baseball show, it's actually going to, I think... I think we had a conflict with doing it not normally how we do it on, I don't know. There was some conflict I thought of doing it. So okay. this may actually help us, but uh, I hope it's yeah. not delayed anymore. Right, right. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, I um, want to welcome in um, a guy we both know. I mean, I just saw this guy over the weekend, too. Um, but really kind of glad to have this guy on the show. I think he's become a good friend of both of ours. Um, he is the one and only. He's Jay Davis, Blue Smoke of Dallas, also a member of the Premium Cigar Association board. Jay, welcome to Primetime. Thank you, gentlemen. Very glad to be here. Well, I'm honored to have you. First of all, uh, it was really good seeing you this weekend. Um, I think I, I think you may have been aware I was dealing with a couple of personal things at the Great Smoke, and it was, I was a little distracted, but I, I just wanted to let you know it was really good seeing you, and certainly I wasn't trying to ignore you or anything like that. <laughs> I did not feel ignored at all. Okay. Yeah, because eventually, you know, it's like, um, it, that was such a, the event was so big, you could easily like, lose someone, and, and like, at that event is what happened. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a great time. I got to meet a lot of people that I had only met on Facebook before. And that's always special to meet people and develop relationships. And the Great Smoke is an amazing event. Yeah. And uh, like I said, you know, and you've been the pro cigar as well. They're two completely different events is what I tell people. Both have certainly a valid place and both are certainly have a place of, as elite events in, in what, you know, on what they are. You know, they're just they're just very different. No question. Pro Cigar, um, in my opinion, is the, the best cigar event in the world. It's it's first class all the way. Yeah. It, it's just it's amazing what they do year after year. And I've been there three times and I really wanted to go this year. But I told Abe I'd be here this year for the Great Smoke. And I've done that before. I did that in 2015. 2015, I did this, the Fuente Cigar Family Celebration. And then I did uh, Pro Cigar. And then I had to leave a day early because I didn't have Herklotz uh, Aviation. And I did the Great Smoke, and that was awesome. But like you said, it's really difficult to do both events. It, it is. And by the way, I didn't have. I had to do both, and I didn't have Herkowitz a- Aviation either. So <laughs> I just, you know, uh, so uh, 
So good, good for him as far as that goes. And he, and by the way, he looked tired. Yeah, I know you said he looked fresh. He looked tired when I saw him because I didn't get to him till five o'clock. He looked beat by then. I saw him at two o'clock and he, he looked great. Yeah, I think probably that last three hours that might have done it in, um, for sure. Um, but he was tired. Uh, but um, and actually, I didn't. I really didn't see him much at Pro Cigar. Just because, you know, everyone's on different things. And then the white dinner is what the white dinner is. Um, and I, I have, you know, but but otherwise, um, um, you know, it's I didn't really see, I saw him more at the Great Smoke, actually, than at that event. But uh, but yeah, so you've um, you've done the Great Smoke before, right? Yeah, I, I did it in 2015 when it was actually outdoor. And then I we did a. Um, a watch party at our store last year. So right. this it's, it's changed a lot. Um, it's, it's always amazing, but it felt so much better just to be around people this year versus last year. But you were at the one at the German club then, or were you at the parking I, lot? I, I guess it, it was outside and I had a lot of fun and they had like live music and all kinds of things going on. I don't really know where it was. You'd have to ask Abe where he was in 2015. Yeah, you either near were you were you near a store or no? Do you remember? No, I think Margate was probably the closest store, and it was probably yeah, you were, you, half you, an hour away. You were at the German Club, so they actually because okay. you, if you remember that event, that was like seven, six, seven years ago. They've like this venue was enormous. I couldn't because I've seen this event grow over the last ten years. And this this new building, this was a building that they had never been in before. Um, and I was just I, I was surprised how many people were there because I thought maybe the ticket sales were lagging and more people were going to go virtual. I was wrong. Uh, there must have been 2000 people. I was at the big smoke this year in November, and it looked to me about twice the size of the big smoke. It was amazing how big it, it was. It, yeah, this was there's no quite. I mean. There's no question there was more. Now, the, he has like a couple hundred people and staff on this, too. That's what people don't realize. So this, there's an enormous amount of staff that supports this event. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, but OJ, it's a, like I said, great to have you aboard tonight. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about tonight, but I'm sure we'll figure a few things along the way. Um <laughs> But, you know, Jay, I think, you know, we'll give you kind of the, you know, we're going to give you the royal treatment just like, we try to give every guest, but, uh, um, you know, but let's kind of start things off. Jay, you know, the, the question we always ask is what was your first experience like smoking a cigar? I had, I, I grew up, I never smoked. My parents smoked cigarettes. Mine so too. I, I have Mine to admit too. probably a hundred times in high school, I went into the local gas station about my mom, E 100 cigarettes, or whatever, but I'd never smoked a cigarette, never done pot, never smoked anything. And I was literally on, I was on a, doing financial planning at the time and I was on a golf course and my business partner said, Hey, why don't we split a cigar? Which people don't, <laughs> you don't split cigars. Right. And I said, well, why not? I just, I just turned 40 and I said, you know, I tried oysters last week. I want to try new things this year. So we got some sort of knockoff of a Macanudo or a Monte Cristo that the golf club had. And she took a couple of puffs and then I, I smoked it and then, I really enjoyed it. And then about a week later, I knew where, where, where there's a local brick and mortar in town. So I came in and I said, you know, I, I kind of want a mild cigar. I'm new. And that kind of took care of me from there. 
so I, I was sort of a classic cigar customer, never touching anything till I was in my forties. I was late too, Jay, to the game because you know I was in my late thirties. So uh, not not you know I kind of told the story. I kind of just was hanging out with a guy who smoked cigars, and similar thing. Uh, curious, do you remember what that cigar was you smoked? No, it, it was a it was a, a house cigar that the uh, Cowboys Golf Club. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys own a golf club here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and they have a, you know, the girl came on the cart and they had some cigars in it. It just had a green label and it, it was pretty much a knockoff of a Monte Cristo. Um, so it was her own house brand. I think it said Cowboys on it. But my guess is it was probably made by probably Craig Cunningham from Esteban Carreras probably made the cigar because he, he does a lot of golf clubs across the country. Uh, but, it, you know, I would say it was very similar to Monte Cristo White. Oh, and then I remember I went to a cigar shop afterwards, and the, the cigar they gave me, it came in a blue tube, and I'm going to mispronounce the name. It was called Florida Inkling. It was a cigar by Villiger. And mm-hmm. I thought the name of the cigar was called Churchill. So the next time I came in, I said, <laughs> yeah, I want to get another one of those Churchill cigars. And that's what I smoked pretty much for the first month or two until they started expanding my palate. So I definitely started off mild. And these were the, these were the original Fort D and Glens, like that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, it was about. a beautiful blue tube, sort of baby blue. I remember when they, when they discontinued that, I called my Villager rep and I bought all the, the rest that they had just because, you know, sentimental value. Because although that was my second cigar, it really was my first cigar. It's what I smoked almost exclusively for my first month or two. Wow, wow. And, and look, it's a cigar that Aaron named Cigar of the Year, like years <laughs> later. So you, you you started out. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you started out with greatness there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very good cigar. You know, that's one of those cigars. Still today, I still enjoy a mild cigar. So if you put it in my hand, I'd smoke it. Aaron likes it. That's all you need to know. Right. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> oh, no. The... the uh... <laughs> So, so Jay, you you and I have probably been smoking about the same amount of time. I think we're similar in age. So um, I assume that you don't know what cigar that Christopher Columbus, what Vitola Christopher Columbus liked, like, uh, you know, you know, like Jose. But um, so you, you... Jose says he's got one for me. <laughs> um, all I know is that it's described in the journals as about the size of a, of a man's forearm. And it was a bunch of leaves together. So I guess big green gauges were, were in long before we There you uh, go. Columbus was a man, a visionary ahead of his time, right? <laughs> Probably you know, 150 funny. green gauges. I got to just dive guards a little. So, Jay, on, I think it was you made this comment on one of the shows about Jose and Columbus's favorite Vitola. <laughs> we went into the Conquistador rolling room at, at, the, at the Fuente factory. And that was my first question yeah. to Jose. I said, here's your answer, Jose. He's like, what? I go, you can find out what Columbus's favorite Vitola was. So, uh, I'd tell you, a guy that I'd like to know his first cigar is uh, Juan Sosa, who uh, oversees their, their yeah. operations there in the Dominican. He's, I think he's 84, 85 years old. And um, it'd be very interesting to just sit down with him and talk to him about his first cigar experiences. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to see Juan when I was down there. But, uh, you know, I... I've heard much about him on uh, in the past and now, obviously, too. So, so Jay, my question to you is, so what were you doing with yourself before you got in the cigar business? Beforehand, what was like well, your I, career? 
Well, I was a lawyer for a number of years mm-hmm. and uh, I did that for about seven years. And then my wife and I had moved from Chicago down to Dallas, Fort Worth, and I had opened up a satellite office for my law firm. So I decided I wanted to do some work with my ministry. So I, I just basically quit being a lawyer for a couple of years. And I found myself in Tucson, Arizona, and I didn't really want to sit for another bar exam. And I ran into a guy who said that I should do fee-based financial planning. I'm, I'm like, I had no idea what that was. Right. But I had taken a lot of courses in college on asset allocation, economics, accounting. So I started doing, I built a financial planning practice, and then I eventually moved back to Texas. And uh, I was a financial advisor, went to a number of different shops, and um you know, I would, I would start early, usually around seven in the morning. So usually around 11 o'clock in the morning, I go to the up and smoke in downtown Dallas that Jay and Wendy Fox used to own. And Patrick Carmichael, who I think is on the, uh, the chat here, he was my tobacconist and um, I tried anything and everything. And uh, the opportunity presented itself. There was a cigar shop that wanted to sell. And uh, I'm like, okay, sounds like an interesting idea. I'd been wanting to start my own business for a while. And then, you know, he just ultimately wanted too much money for it. It was a very small shop. So uh, I contacted my brother who was providing some of the financing and we just decided, why not? Let's just build something from scratch and uh, take a 90% cut and pay because I'd always wanted to have my own business. So I started smoking at 40. I opened a cigar shop at 42. And obviously there was a lot I didn't know then uh, that I know now, but I'm, I'm glad that I did it. So what, like, what led you, like, I know you would do other things you said going on at the time, but in two years, what led you from like starting, like, did you love this so much that from the time you started smoking cigars and two years later, you actually are building a store from the ground up? Yeah, I, I love the camaraderie. Um, one thing that I think that, that COVID has, that, that hurt us was the interactions you get face to face. So that first cigar shop that I went to uh, after I had had my cigar, um, I started going there more often. My wife had actually kind of kicked me out of the house. At that time, we had a very young daughter and my wife was breastfeeding and she would lay down in the bed with my daughter. She's like, can you just, you know, be gone for about three or four hours? Um, I just want to get her down. And she goes, why don't you go to that local cigar shop? So I was just started hanging out the cigar shop and it was interesting. It was a very small cigar shop, but I came in and every day I'd say, what am I smoking? And over a six-month period of time, they literally took me through the entire humidor. I remember graduation day was smoking a Hoy de Nicaragua on Antonio 1970. They're like, okay, you're ready for the cigar. <laughs> so it was interesting. It wasn't just the tobacconist, but it was all the people at the cigar shop. And when I'd smoke something, they'd say, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And, and I tried everything. Meanwhile, I'm buying fake Cubans online. And then I eventually figured out how to get real Cubans. And uh, I decided that, okay, those were a waste of my time. I didn't really enjoy spending a lot of money for cigars and didn't work. Um, So I I just got more and more into it. And I think the biggest thing that I enjoyed was just because we were going through a financial crisis in 2008, 2009. It was very stressful. You know, the the Dow Jones had dropped, I don't know, 60% or something. And so just going to take a break uh, to have a cigar. And I wanted to do that for other people. So that they could come into my shop and they could relax and get a break from life. And I just felt like there was a need in our market for another cigar shop, uh, some nicer touches in the lounge, but also just 
more of a curated selection. A lot of the shops at that time were the standard catalog cigars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any, anywhere I could go, I was trying different cigars and it was, it was really hard to find something outside of the, the seven or eight major companies. Um, obviously that's changed, but when I first uh, opened my shop in 2010, having, I use the term boutique cigars was, was kind of unusual. So that's always been our philosophy. We tell people we have two types of cigars in our humidor, those you heard of and those that you should try. Right. Uh, so we still carry, it's kind of a loss leader. We carry a lot of cigar brands that maybe don't justify their, their shelf space, but we think they're excellent cigars and we want people to be able to try them. And there's nothing more exciting than sitting down with a customer and learning about what they like, what they don't like, and then giving them a cigar that you think will fit their palate. And then just the joy in that. And then the conversations that develop that that's just my bread and butter. Um, it's one of the reasons I'll probably never own a second shop because I want to always be able to be there with customers and experience that with them. For me, it's not just, it's not about making money. I could be a lawyer and make a whole lot more money, sure. but I really enjoy the camaraderie of a brick and mortar, which is what made COVID so, so difficult. Yeah, no, I, I could, I could definitely see that. It, so, I'm, you know, the timeline's really close to mine, Jay, uh, in terms of when I got started and then when I started writing, like I started writing right when you opened your store. So it's a very interesting timeline. And I, I guess the time when I was getting into this, we were coming out of that, like the, the Gene Argenti, Tony Bahia era, you know, and, you know, we were we were moving more into, I guess I'll say like the Fred Rui era, uh, the time the Gary Griffith era, you know, Viaje, you know, so there was this there was this change that I was noticing with some of those some of those other guys. Um right around that time so you i think you came in right i think at this thing where the the boutique the boutique uh phase started to really pick up yeah the the bergen argente that it had like the warning label remember that yeah the little little nipple on the bottom yeah um and like for me i i I don't remember if it was 2008 or 2009 is the first time that i smoked a liga privada and that cigar for me was probably what VSG was in 99 or Opus X was in 95. It was just a game changer. Uh, I, that cigar just blew me away. And then like Le Bijou came out and then you st- from my father, you just started having a lot of very interesting releases uh, I mean, and it was a yeah. time of a lot of innovation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jay, the interesting thing that I, I say is that was when around and Aaron, you weren't, you weren't at, you came in a little later, right? It was like 2014. Yeah, I started smoking like 20, like late 2011, early 2012. Right. Yeah. If I go back just a couple years before that, like I said, this 2009, 10 era, Jay, this is when I said, look, limited editions were limited editions. They, they were like really good cigars and they, was, they were much more special. Shop exclusives were special back then, right? Um, I, I just think the game has changed so much. I think both of those markets have gotten oversaturated. But back then, those those types of cigars you were getting, those were special cigars you were getting back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, even Savinelli started making some cigars that were, were really good. And yeah, Viaje was sort of a really hot brand. And um, there are also some really bad cigars in the market. I was shocked when I first opened my store that you'd get a, a cigar rep would come in for a brand I never heard of. And you'd like the cigar and it would sound like a cigarette burning. You just terrible tobacco 
Um, but then you also found things that were just like, wow. I mean, that's how I met Justin. Uh, Justin was working for Lou Rodriguez cigars and that was a cigar brand that we brought in that it was, it, it didn't really go anywhere, but I got to meet Dr. Rodriguez and I got to meet Justin and there were a lot of people in their formative years that were involved. And I was like, Fred Rue was definitely one of those people yeah. that were making really exciting cigars and, and different things to try. So there, it was, you know, the, the candy store was open. Yeah. That we, was for you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, uh, Lou Rod, um, he was North Carolina, right? So he actually had a pretty good following in the state here. Um, so the brands did do well here, but, you know, it was still very a regional brand. And, and um, like I, I saw Justin and Lou Rod once work an event like I never saw anyone work an event before. Okay. Like we kid Justin all the time. We, we Everyone just busts on the guy, right? But this is like 2011. He was at um, Havana Phil's, which is uh, the store that Seth goes to. And I never saw two guys work an event like those two guys did that night. That was like, to this day, I said, I've told Justin, no one's come close to how hard those guys worked on them. They, they were hustling. They were making mojitos and they just, uh, they did incredible sales that night. So, but and it was a good, I'll never forget. I, I think it was maybe my first trade show in 2011. Uh, I, be, I don't, I became friends on social media with Frank Herrera, who obviously everybody knows who Frank is. Yeah. He's a, an attorney. Frank had a, a cigar called biography, which I yeah. really liked. And his, his, his uh, desk or his booth was right next to Larry Riggis and, and Frank introduced me to them, and that's how I met Justin. And I remember walking out of there with a lot of biographies and uh, Lou Rodriguez cigars. And maybe they didn't sell that well, but I really enjoyed both of those brands. <laughs> they, they they were good. Aaron, you'll appreciate this, right? So Lou Rod was the guy, Lou Rodriguez, right? I meet these guys at the 2011 trade show that um that Jay just mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. And and Lou gives me some of his cigars, right? Uh, I think it was, it was just like day two. So now we're at day three of the cigar, and Lou Rod starts hunting me down on the, on the on the trade show floor he's like hey coop did you face those reviews yet <laughs> and he was like dead serious he was like hey this one and, I'm like, and justin was there justin's like no yeah. it doesn't work like that. right <laughs> let him get these this is when we were like, we like this is when we were still reviewing trade show samples yeah, like, yeah. and it's like let him at least get home <laughs> right exactly but like he really thought like i had these reviews done yeah <laughs> Gabe, what was your vision for Blue Smoke Dallas when you opened it, though? What were you, what was your vision in terms of what type of retail store you were going to have? We want, we wanted something that had sort of an industrial look. Like we, we don't have, we have open ceilings, but we wanted something with nice touches. I wanted a cigar shop that somebody who used to be one of my clients who was worth two hundred million dollars to go in and feel like they could smoke a cigar. But also that, you know, somebody who was a part-time firefighter who wasn't making a lot of money could also enjoy. And also a place that would be very welcoming to women. At that time, there were not a lot of women smokers coming into the cigar shops. And we actively encouraged that. And we wanted something that, that would make everybody feel comfortable. And then over time, of course, we kind of perfected like what we wanted. But the idea was to, because at that time, that there are two types of cigar shops. There were cigar shops that look like a convenience store that they never cleaned the bathroom. They, they didn't have a, a decent glass. If you wanted, if you brought a bottle of scotch um, and right. much less ice. And then there were other cigar shops that were just 
old fashioned, you know, they've got carpet everywhere. They smell terrible. They got these huge smoke eaters that don't work. And it, I think in a lot of ways it was cigar shops hadn't done much in my, in retrospect, I think cigar shops hadn't done much since the boom ended around, I guess, 2000, that it had been kind of a quiet decade uh, by the time 2008, 2009 rolled around. And then I started looking at different cigar shops. My, my brother lives in Chicago still, and we went up to Ewan Reese and Ewan Reese is maybe the Amazing. oldest cigar shop in the country. Love that and, store. Uh, you know, and they've got, they've got a separate room that has like a conference room and different things. And mm. so I, every time I went to a cigar shop, I would think, well, I like this, but I don't like that. So I started thinking, you know, what are some things that I can do? And then my, I hired an architect and she went to New York on, on, on business. And I said, go to a few cigar shops. I'll pay for whatever cigars you get. And she went to about seven or eight cigar shops and she just took down notes of things that she thought were interesting. And I still went to New York a lot on business. So I would go to Cigar Inn and I would go to the, the townhouse and different places and and so we, we always, if something was done right, we wanted to learn from it. And that's kind of was the, the idea was a place that would be comfortable. Um, that, you know, cause at city cigars where I first started going, it was literally like three couches and I'd be like one of three fat dudes sitting on the couch. I mean, like Hector, Hector, a guy like Hector and me sitting next to each other and like, you're sharing skin for three hours. I mean, it, and the, the ventilation was terrible the camaraderie was great. So I wanted a place that, oh, you know, maybe you could sit in your own chair. Maybe there would be a, a, a glass that you could put ice in it for your scotch instead of just drinking out of the bottle. And maybe there wouldn't be a, a DJ so you could actually hear yourself talk and talk to people. And it was a special time because there was about a two or three year period where people came in and they talked. Now I have to really fight people to get off their phones. I, I seriously want to just have a basket in the beginning and in entrance of my cigar shop. So just drop your damn phone in there so that you can actually talk to people. So it's a little bit more work now than it was back then. Yeah, I can imagine that. Convers oh. Conversations in cigar shops are, are awesome. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate melting pot. People from all walks of life, they can talk and they can get along. And uh, that's something that really got my attention. No, it's true. Um, you know, it's true. It's, uh, you know, I used to be one of those guys who could work out of a cigar shop, but it's actually gotten a lot harder for me now because of the nature of my job involves a lot more talking on the phone. And, uh, you, you know, you just can't either you're going into a private room and doing it or, um, you're interrupting people. So yeah, I totally get that, um, as well. Yeah. You, um, you built up some key partnerships. I mean, I want to see that there's, I know there's accounts that you've had over the years as relationships with companies you've had over the years. Uh, I want to say you did it very quickly compared to a lot of other shops. How did that happen? I think it depends on, on the, on the different companies. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to go all in. And one thing that it's still true in the cigar business today is, if you want to get special cigars from a company, you've got to support their core brands. Yeah. You know, whether it's Drew Estate or Arturo Fuente or um, La Polina, you know, they all have hard to get cigars. Um, at first, we worked with almost exclusively boutique cigars. And I realized very quickly that it was great that I had a humidor with 100 different brands. But if a customer came in and they wanted a Perdomo or a Rocky Patel or Arturo Fuente, I wasn't in very good shape to sell it to him because I didn't carry very much of that. 
So I had to change my model to adjust to what my customers wanted. Right. So the first year or two was cigars that I like to smoke. And then I realized, oh, wow, this is a business. It might help if I had cigars that my customers want. Um, so I guess the first company I really developed a deep relationship was uh, Arturo Fuente. And that was not really intentional. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, Brian Chinnick, who used to live in Napa Valley. And we started carrying his cigars. Uh, right. His cigars are made at El Titan de Bronze and uh, now currently made at Alandino. And uh, he would always have, have a crush each year in September. And he invited me and my wife up there. So we finally came in 2013. And uh, Cynthia and Christina Suarez were there. And uh, Cynthia came over and talked with me and my wife. And Christina came with her. We talked for about, I don't know, two, two and a half hours. And I'll never forget this. They they walked away because there's kind of like a, a like a bonfire in between everybody. And my wife's like, just she goes, this that Cynthia lady is just amazing. Uh, does she have anything to do with the cigar industry? Because everybody there is drinking wine and right, cigars. Right. And we had talked for I don't know two two and a half hours, and the subject of Arturo Fuente and cigar companies just didn't come up. We talked about we talked about our kids. We talked about life. We talked about spiritual things and it just never came up and it's like oh yeah that that's cynthia fuente um her her brother and her dad they they run arturo fuente we we carry some of their cigars and my wife was like oh wow even more amazing that you know we hadn't talked about cigars mm -hmm. and then my friend berta bravo was there and berta came up i don't know maybe 20 minutes later and she's like i'm glad you got to talk to cynthia did you and cynthia talk about cfc and I get this blank look in my face, like, what's CFC? She goes, what's the cigar family celebration? I'm like, so what's the cigar family celebration? And then she started talking about how there was this lawsuit between the Rothschilds and the Mandavis, and there was another cigar company we won't mention, um, who I think has a point in merchants. And they had, sued the, they had sued the Fuentes when they came out with Opus X because of the Opus wine, and they were, I guess, thinking about doing a cigar. Right. And... Uh, they, there was a gag order. They couldn't really talk about it. Uh, but Drew Newman had set up a bulletin board and people had these handles and they would, you know, support the, the Newmans and the Fuentes. And uh, after the lawsuit was won and they able to uh, deter the Rothschilds from filing lawsuits in another 25 countries, they did the cigar family celebration in Tampa, I guess, in 1998. So I'm like, OK, wow, this is amazing. And of course, all the you guys there across America packets okay. in my store since day one, but had no idea the connection to the charity. I just got these packets and I sold them. So uh, then, then Cynthia came back over and they said, "Yeah, so we're doing this cigar family celebration in the Dominican in February. You ought to come." And I came and it changed my life. I, I saw the, uh, the the school that they the cigar family uh, charitable foundation has and. I mean, you've been there. It's, it's just amazing uh, uh, to see what they've done in the yeah. community. And and when we went, we would spend the first day packing these bags of food. Like th they would do these lotteries and they would say certain families could get food this particular time. So we brought like beans and, and rice and some canned goods. And we would go to, I mean, really poor houses. I mean, a lot of people didn't even have a floor. You know, the rich people might have something other than dirt in their house. And it was raining and we got to meet all these people and they'd hug you and we give them water filters because the water is dirty down there. 
And that got me very excited about the foundation finding out that when people buy a toast across America packet, it raises money. And really, it, it wasn't really a business decision. I developed a relationship with Cynthia and Carlito and, um, and the family. And every year I could go to the cigar family celebration, I would go anytime that we could raise money. We started uh, doing what we could. And I, I did crazy things. Abe would be laughing if he saw this because he's always like never pay retail. I would go to other cigar shops and I would pay outrageous prices for their Opus X. And then I would have them at the event and sell them at MSRP. And I would give every penny that we made to the charity. So, you know, I'd give the charity, you know, seven or $8,000, but I lost $20,000 in doing it. And we just, I just started developing a relationship uh, with their national sales manager, Wally Beagle and with um, the Fuentes, but it was really separate from my business. Um, the way the business developed is I sat down with my sales rep who'd been working for the Newmans and the Fuentes for a couple decades. And I said, how do I increase my sales for this company? Because I really believe what the Fuentes and the Newmans are doing. Um, and he gave me a small piece of advice that amazing. Most people don't follow it. He said, do you want to sell individual cigars or do you want to sell boxes? So I want to sell boxes. He goes, then don't keystone your product, sell it at MSRP. And Fuente has a pricing model similar to, I guess, a lot of cigar companies from the 90s where, you know, you buy a cigar and the markup's not as high as it is in a lot of other cigars. So a lot of companies will charge a standard markup when you go to their cigar shop. And we just started charging MSRP. And between doing our events for the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation and having really good prices, we just started uh, selling more and more. And then one day I was on the phone with a retailer, I want to say in Pleasanton, Massachusetts, old guy, been around forever. And he's like, you know, you really want to change Fuente. He goes, you have to have the product. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, do something crazy. Go to the trade store and order a hundred boxes of double Chateau. And I'm like, I sell like 30 boxes a year. Are you crazy? He's like, people walk into your store and they see nothing but cigars. You know, he was giving me the Lou Rothman philosophy. Right, right. People are surrounded by cigars, going to buy cigars. So I go to my next trade show and I normally would order, I don't know, 20 or 30 boxes from Fuente. And I put in an order for 325 boxes and my rep's like, how are you going to pay for this? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. (laughs) uh, So all of a sudden we start getting all these shipments from Tampa and we start carrying a lot more, a lot of Fuente and then we start carrying a lot more Newman. And that really started building it up. But I think that was for a long time, that was really separate because I spending all that time with the Dominican, I developed relationships with Eric Newman and then Bobby Newman and then Carlito and Cynthia and then getting to know Christina and um, getting to know Lidiana down the road and then getting to know Liana. Um, but it was really like I had it's like I had a friendship with yeah. them that was separate from my business. I think over time they kind of blended together. And that's really why we started, ended up doing a lot of business with the Fuentes. Uh, plus, I really liked their cigars. I had smoked almost every brand on the market. Um, and I just couldn't find a lot of consistency other than maybe Padron. And Padron's at that time, being a newer smoker, they were a little harsh for me. And I just became a big fan of the Fuente cigars. And then I obviously you start attracting Fuente smokers. And like, hey, have you thought about carrying the Cuban Bellicoso? I'm like, what's that? So organically, the business just started to grow and grow. So that, that's really how we developed a relationship. It wasn't intended 
to be some mad scientist project to, you know, be a, a top Fuente dealer. It was just, you know, how can we carry as much as we can and support a company that does what they're doing in the Dominican? So it started from that perspective yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and you know, like I said, I just went there last week. Um, you can't help but not be, uh, be moved. Right. And, you know, I had actually seen Charlie Minato, um, a day beforehand, before I went there. And he said to me that when you go to that, that cigar family, uh, tour, he says, he says, he was like, he was like getting emotional on it. You know what I mean? It's so, it it was kind of, yeah, it's, it's very, it's amazing. It was just an amazing, because I've seen a lot of charity things that the cigar industry has done, but nothing like this. So it was, it was amazing. Uh, and I can totally understand how, how uh, you've connected with that as well. I, I, I'm always a big believer in that you do things right for the right reason and then things will work out. Yeah. That's always been my philosophy in business as a, as a lawyer, as a financial planner, as a, a cigar person. You don't worry about making as much money as you can. You just take care of that customer. And if the customer is a decent human being, then they will reward you with more of their business down the road. But just take care of that person at this moment. And that's worked out for us. I mean, some of the things that happened during COVID were insane. I had cut because we were closed down. We don't have a website. I, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. And I know guys like Abra, like, get a website, get a website. I'm like, I don't want a website. And I literally had four or five people text me and a copy of their credit card and say, I know you're closed. Send me $1,000 worth of cigars. You know what I like. That happened with multiple people. I'm like, oh, my God. And if it wasn't for people doing things like that, I don't know how we would have survived COVID because we were not prepared. We didn't have a website. And then at that point, then I started calling people that I had done business with and said, hey, do you need cigars? And if they'd say no, no. If they said yes, great. And then I started going to customers' houses and doing deliveries. Got to know my customers locally a whole lot better as well. And you're, you're in the heart of Dallas, and in the Dallas Metro, you're actually in Dallas proper, right? So, um, which is then Dallas, a big area. And we know a lot of people obviously in Dallas, but I guess from what I understand, talking to you and talking to bear Dallas proper was even tougher for you guys. Right. Than than some of these other guys in the state for sure. In terms of when you guys oh, were yeah. shut down. Yeah, we had, we had code compliance guys who were just ridiculous. Um, there was no way I could let anybody in the story if I wanted to break the rules. Yeah. Um, and we're in an old, we're in an older part of Dallas, uh, right near Love Field, the small airport where Southwest Airlines flies out of. And obviously the right amendment getting overturned a few years ago didn't hurt our business either. But yeah, mo- most of the places in Dallas uh, were pretty aggressive on COVID because our county judge, and I guess that's a term for whoever the top political person is. Right. Um, he was, he's a fascist. Um, and he wants to control everybody. Um, but you know, you, you deal with the hand you're dealt with and, you know, we didn't want to break the rules. So we just did what we had to do to survive and just worked, worked a lot of days, uh, for about nine months straight. But, you know, you know, sometimes that's, that's how your business grows. You know, it's one thing to, to sell cigars to someone that comes in your store. It's another thing to go and meet them on your front lawn and you're like 10 feet away and you, you see their house and their car and you talk about, well, how are things going with your, with your job or with your business? Mm-hmm. 
with your family, your kids, and it really deepened relationships. So in a lot of ways, COVID did us a strong favor that we got to develop relationships with customers deeply. And I think a lot of store owners in Dallas, that was their experience. It wasn't just us. Uh, I think a lot of us, we just hustled and we just decided that, you know, nothing was going to shut us down. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I know, um, like even though you don't have a website, people can call the store though and, and, and order. So, right. And you guys ship. Yeah, but it doesn't really work that way. Um, it's hard to explain. I, I think it started with the cigar family people. Um, I knew 10 people and then I knew 20 people and then I knew 40 people. And I, I would always just say, Hey, if you can't get something from your local brick and mortar, call me. Uh, we may not have it, but we're going to have a fair price for you. And I think we developed a reputation yep. um, that if you got a hold of me, I take care of you. And we, we took advantage of things like we set up a business account with PayPal. We were very transparent that what we did was tobacco and they were fine with it. Uh, we, we had to change our credit card processor because they decided they didn't want to do remote sales of tobacco, but we got a little bit more educated on that. And then it, then it grew when we started, people started wanting to have access to other brands like Black Label Trading or Tatawae or other things like that. Um, the other big brand we've developed a relationship with is Pete Johnson. Yep. And we've had a Tatawai account since day one, but we've never been a big Tatawai dealer. Well, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I really saw supply chain issues. So I, I got it. I got an idle loan from the government. It was like $75,000. So I called up my, my broker who handles Tatawai. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to be a bigger account with Pete, but I never had the money. And I said, here's a $60,000 order. So literally like Pete's like, what the hell is Jay doing? And so I told my rep, because at that time I didn't really know Pete very well. And I would say, look, I said, I've always wanted to, to carry Pete's brand. And the only way I know how to carry a brand is you have to go deep and wide. Right. You have to have a lot of different products. You have to have you know one to show and a whole lot more to go. So we just brought in a lot of Pete's products and um, he wasn't really running any deals at the time, but he, he, he did some things to take care of us. And then over time, Pete and I started talking over the phone and we developed a relationship um, I think there are a lot of fine brands we don't, and we'd always done really well with my father. Um, but to me, uh, Pete's just one of those guys who I really like, and it's great when you can do business with somebody that you admire and respect and, and, oh, by the way, you enjoy their cigars. And I've, I've always had that approach. If I really like your cigars, I'm going to do what I can to move them. Sometimes, unfortunately, you have to close out a brand with someone that you like because they're just, it's just not paying the bills. But with Fuente and Tatawai and obviously Padron and uh, my father, those are our four top brands. And part of it is that we just really admire the quality of how they handle their tobacco and the consistency of their cigars. I'm not saying that they're better or worse than other brands, but they seem to fit for us and they fit for our clients. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, like I said, I think, you know, over the years, um, certainly I've, I've seen you have that balance, I think, right now, too. Because uh, you mentioned Chinook Sellers, and I and I remember years ago, I think you were the first Chinook Sellers Lounge, right? So, um, you know, I've kind of seen you evolve over the years with this too, and it's 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 been a great thing to see as well, you know. And it's kind of like you know, now I think of you as a Tatawai guy because, uh, you know, just uh, I guess you've had that reputation pretty quickly. So, hey, I need some cojites, so you got them right out to me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so. Um, it doesn't hurt to have a post office next door to your store. That that, that I'm sure that makes it easier. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, because like Ben was like, he's got all the tattoos, you know that? Like, oh, shoot, that's right, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it's good to hear. I mean, at the end of the day, we I like cigars, and I like all kinds of cigars. I mean, I'm smoking an HVC right now, and to me, it's just a question of what you feel like that day. You know, you're not going to eat a hamburger every day. Some days you want steak, some days you want chicken, some days you want fish. Well, and cigars, they just hit different parts of your palate. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, I won't say that other retailers don't feel this way because I don't know what motivates other retailers. But for me, I'm not motivated by money. I mean, certainly I like to make money, but I love cigars. That's all I think about is cigars. And when I'm not working, I'm usually at home working or I'm spending time with my, my kids or my grandkids. And I, I'm, I'm 100%. My, that's always been my attitude towards work is I throw myself 110%. And it's part of the reason I watch your show and I watch other shows. I want to be educated. I'm always learning. You know, anytime I sit down with you or with Charlie Bonato or Carlito Fuente or Manny or out to anybody, you know, you just a lot of times I just listen. I know it's hard to believe because I talk so much, but I'm always learning from other people. And to me, these people, they forgot more than I know. And if I can learn something about humidification or learn something about blending, fantastic. No, you know, Jay, you actually kind of hit like in my next point. Um, you, you've always been like a consumer of cigar media. I mean, I'm going back to, I mean, you were tuned in when I was with Stogie Geeks years ago. So, I mean, you've always been a consumer. You remember that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's <laughs> <they're> still around. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, but I mean, you've always been like, you know, like I said, this consumer of cigar media. So, and, and a supporter of it as well and it's appreciated you know i just wanted to you know make that point on that but you kind of answered my question there as uh you know i think it's great that you kind of use some of these platforms and other platforms to kind of just continually educate you you can always learn um and i I, that's one of the reasons i travel and do a lot of events um like i went to an event that fuente did in south carolina last year and i just in may i remember one (laughs) I remember yeah, that. Yeah. And I was on vacation. That's why I didn't go there. <laughs> I was in Florida. It was, it was a great event. Yep. Um, so I remember like one night, I don't remember when it was, I was at a trade show and I'm, I'm now at the big boys table. I can actually sit with, with Carlito and Manny. And I remember one night Carlito was in a mood and it must've been for two hours. All Carlito talked about was how important it was to humidify cigars. And I just sat there. I didn't say more than two words. Manny and I were just like nodding our heads. And then when I go to the factory and say how they do that, so I bring that back to my store when I talk to customers about the importance of humidification and what are the dangers of overhumidification versus underhumidification. You know, I, I didn't think that stuff up, but you know, I, I'll listen to the people above it. I'll listen to Carlito, I'll listen to other manufacturers talk about the importance of things like that. And that's how you learn. You learn from people that know more than you. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, like I said, I, what I do, I mean, we're, we're learning all the time. It's, it's a constant learn mode here. Um, yeah, I, sure. I did that as a financial advisor. Yeah. I mean, I would read Bloomberg. I'd read Barron's. I'd read the Wall Street Journal. I would go to seminars where portfolio managers would talk about their investment strategy and, and why they're shorting treasury bonds and why they're buying this or that so I could help my clients understand. So I'm, I approach cigars the way I did financial planning and the law. It's all continuing education. Because I don't know that much, but as I'm learning more and more from other people, then I can then share that with customers. Yeah. So you said you sit at the big boys table, right? 
Here's my question to you. When you walk into the white dinner, do you have a seat or do you have to kind of find a seat? Uh, I got to find a seat. I, I don't I don't get invited I, I, to sit. By the way, that is my biggest complaint. They have got to fix that at the white dinner. That is just too clickish. I mean, I actually was lucky to get a seat at the table. But it, it, it's actually yeah. you don't have a seat. If, you don't, if you're not at one of those reserved tables, good luck finding a seat. Yeah, I would usually find somebody that I knew. Yeah. Uh, like Jean, Jean-Michel would always find me a place or uh, there, yeah. I would hang out with Frank Seltzer and, and Chris Weathersby. They, they'd find me a place. But, you know, I would just sort of find people that I knew and be like, hey, I need a seat. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit of like musical chairs to figure out where you're going to sit and how close are you to the bathroom? How close yeah. are you to hors d'oeuvres? Yep, yep. And uh, a lot of tables are reserved. Almost every ta- like 85% of the tables are reserved. And like I ask it, how do you get at a reserve table? You got to know someone, basically. Well, uh, so, but they do have, like I said, they, they do for guys like me and you. There, there are those tables way on the edges of the horseshoe, kind of. It's like a big horseshoe. Yeah, I feel like Jugdish and Muhammad in Animal <laughs> House, where they've got you the corner. You know, you really have to to, to fight to get a place yeah. to sit at a pro but, star. But, actually, white but I lucked out this year. I actually lucked out this year. So, uh, but Justin Andrews did not offer me a seat at the general table. I want that on the record. Yeah, so, like no, yeah, but you know, other people, uh, Jose was good, uh, the Reyes family was good, Carlito. No, no, Justin didn't even off, didn't care. And and then he and then he got mad wow. at me for not going on his tour. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, for all the free advertising you did for Sunday gravy, no. you deserve the seat. No. <laughs> oh, poor Justin. Justin's just so easy to pick on. <laughs> Uh, so, so Jay, you know, one thing that, you know, um, obviously you've, you've become a lot more, you've been well-known in the retail community, but I think in the last year now, um, you've made this transition and you decided, um, and I'm curious to join the, the PCA board of directors. Um, and you were actually part of the first open election to the board of directors. Um, yeah. so, all right. I got to ask the question. Why, why join? I mean, thankless job. You know, but you, you're kind of putting yourself out there. I was really angry at the PCA for a couple of years. I know you were. <laughs> what I felt were a, lo- a lot of bonehead decisions. So I just decided to call Scott Pierce one day. And right. we talked on the phone several times. I mean, like for an hour, hour plus. And then he was in um, Texas a couple of times and we talked. And then one day I just called him up and said, I'm done complaining. And he gets really quiet. And I said, I, I feel like if I'm unhappy with the way I think things are, then I need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I want right. to get on the board. How do you get on the board? And he's like, well, just be patient. We're looking at maybe a, a situation where we're going to have open elections. And I think the board members have had a lot of patience with me because I ask a lot of dumb questions. And I, I'm like, well, why do we do this? And I may not always like the answer. And that's OK. There's going to be a diversity in a board. But the, the board, I, I understand now some things used to bother me. I understand, like, you know, why are we always in Vegas? And then I start looking at the reality of where we can have other trade shows and what, how limited the options are, where I look at the budget, and I, I have a better understanding for some of the problems. Now, there are still things where I scratch my head, and I'm just like, well, this is stupid. Why are we doing it this way? Um, but I will say that for a new person on the board, they've given me a lot of latitude. Uh, they haven't laughed at me too many times, at least not to my face. And they're willing to listen to my ideas. They may not always agree, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think Greg Zimmerman has been a, a very good president. I think John Anderson is our former president. Those two guys do a good job of um, they they want to hear what other people have to say, and then they kind of let you know kind of what they think. And um, it, it's a pretty open forum. So I actually encouraged a uh, gentleman yesterday that's in Tulsa to to run for the board. He doesn't own a shop, but he's an employee, so he's entitled to run. And mm-hmm. I said I think it'd be great to have the perspective of somebody yeah. who's an employee. Um, because some of the guys that who, who are on the PCA board, they've been doing it for a long time. They're good at what they do, but not all those guys are behind a register. So I think it's yeah. good to have different voices. So like I said, I think it'd be better to be part of the solution than part of the problem. And I think the PCA is, is going in a good direction. Jay, when we back, I'll ask the question, Cigar, when CigarCon happened, was that when you were very frustrated with the PCA when all that happened or was there other things? A cigar Com was kind of, that was the straw that broke the back. I remember watch, I wasn't at the trade show that year. I, I decided not to, to go and I right. watched, you actually had a, a podcast on and I was, I was livid. And my biggest issue with cigar Con, and now that it's been explained to me that really cigar Con, a lot of the push came from manufacturers, although though the PCA board took a lot of hit for it. Um, the, my biggest issue with cigar Con was not the decision to include su- consumers. It was that, the membership was not asked their opinion. They were told, this is what we're going to do. So I really pushed for more communication. Uh, so for example, we had a board meeting virtually, I don't know, about a month and a half ago. And we were talking about different venues. And I'm like, well, why don't you, I said, let's not repeat cigar con. Let's send out a survey that says, where do people want to have the trade show? Are they willing to have a trade show? You can't smoke on the trade show floor. Ask these questions. And I think maybe two people on the board were in favor of the idea, but to their credit, the board's like, yeah, let's go ahead and send the survey out. And they did that. And what I've always said is what I've been saying the last year on the board is if we make a bad decision, great, but let's at least involve our membership. Let's get them involved. And that way we can say that we at least listened. And that was my big issue with cigar Connors. I felt like they had made this bold decision, but they hadn't included their, their membership in knowing about why they were doing it. And now in retrospect, having sat on the board and understanding what the conversations were behind it, if they would have uh, communicated better, it may not have been such a huge issue. But the membership, I think, was just taken aback. They were just, this thing just came out of the blue for them. And I think that people, you know, we're all a bunch of type A personalities that own our own business. We don't like to be told this is what we're doing without explaining what the thinking behind it was. And because the thinking and the ideas behind it were tremendous. But I think that the it, the lack of communication really hurt the message. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to put myself for a second on the PCA point of view. It is agree with everything. Right. But this is typically what I've seen with. And this is not just a cigar industry specific thing. But when it comes to associations is everyone wants to be included. Right. And so there, there are ways you can include people. Right. You could have committees and stuff like that. But what I see tend to happen in a lot of these cases is people say, yeah, I'm interested. But when it comes to committing to doing certain things, they drop the ball. So sometimes you do need to empower like a board of directors to go ahead and do something. Um, I'm not saying they handled Cigar Con right. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times my, my a lot of times I just, you know, you need to have that involvement. My issue with Cigar Con, right? was like no one seemed to do their homework from five or six years ago, Jay, when they tried this in 2013. And it was met with just a 
a, a colossal, like, no, right? Don't touch this. And I don't, I, I think all the people were gone by then who did it. And then they tried to do this again. And, and they, I don't think they realized, I don't think the people remembered like 2012, 2013 when they tried to do this once before. That, that could very well be the case. Yeah. I, I, I do agree with you. I think one of the, the biggest challenge we face in our industry, and I think it applies equally to manufacturers, retailers, and consumers, is apathy. Yeah. Uh, whether, whether it is writing your local congressperson about the FDA, whether it is uh, educating consumers about the CRA, um, whatever it may be, there's a lot of apathy. There's like, oh, well, somebody else can take take care of it. And to me, the, the example that I, I like to cite recently is, you know, when, when Dave Garofalo was in Massachusetts, he tried to fight the smoking laws and very few, if none of the, don't, uh, don't the retailers helped him. Yeah. And then Dave's like, the heck with this. He, he moved to New Hampshire and I'm sure there's more details than that, but I, I run across that more and more. It's just, well, I just need to be focused upon what's in my four walls. And there's just incredible amounts of, of apathy and I think that hurts our industry. And then you have a disproportionate number of retailers trying to affect change, a disproportionate number of manufacturers. I mean, I don't know what the total numbers were, but I, I think somewhere around $17, $18 million was spent uh, defending our rights against the FDA with regard to packaging, with regard to substantial equivalents. And you know, two companies which comprise 46% of the business didn't contribute a dime. And there are many other companies that didn't. And I, I don't want to be, I don't want to worry about the past. My focus is, and I know I'm, I'm sounding like a acolyte of Carlito Fuente, but I do believe what Carlito says is that we're all one. We've got to unify and forget the past and get more people involved yeah. because the more that people are involved, the more the things can be changed because I guarantee you that the anti-tobacco people, they're very, they're very unified. And they are against any form of combustible tobacco. And we need anyone and everyone that can help from every company, from every retailer, from every consumer. Like I had a guy come in yesterday to my store. He saw the CRA pack, which is a pack of cigars that I think you buy it roughly for like $110 and sell for like $160. And $110 is a donation to the CRA and the manufacturers donate their cigars but it's only maybe 10 or 11 manufacturers that are doing that. And the guy's like, those are great cigars, but you know, I really don't want to spend $160 for those. And I said, but you do understand that this is to, to fight for your right to smoke. He's like, what do you mean? And I explained it to him. And yeah. He's like, eh, I don't care. And a lot of consumers are like that. And a lot of retailers are like that. And frankly, a lot of manufacturers are like that. You know, I think they get the attitude of, you know, you know, Carlito can't say it, but I can say it. I don't give a shit. You know, the company's like, well, I'm, I'm making several million dollars a year making cigars. Now, let Fuente and Padron, let LFD, let those other companies worry about it, and then I'll get all the benefits. And that's going to cost us because we need everybody involved. And there are people in, in different companies that have different long suits and perspectives and talents where they can help, even if it's not money. And we can do a better job fighting the FDA because the FDA is basically told, by Judge Meta on most of these issues, get your stuff together and I'm going to back you up. So we've got a tough fight ahead of us. And right now we're in a lull and a lot of people are just sort of acting like government regulation isn't going to happen. 
you know, as John McTavish said, you know, it's happened before it will happen again. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Do you know, you see so you're on the board right now. Um, and there's, you know, there's these different like war fronts that are going on. Like, so keep, keep it simple. It's like, obviously there's the legislative front, there's the executive front and the judicial front. Um, what's your perception? What's been the most effective one? Is it, I mean, I guess it would be the judicial in my eyes, but I don't know if you think differently. The judicial front has been the most effective, but it's also been the most costly. Costly, I mean, yeah. The, the, P, the PCA put themselves in, into a big debt situation that they're now carrying a, a lot of debt because of that. Um, they, they've also made a decision uh, that, you know, and Glenn Loop and Josh Haberski can talk more about this, but they've done a good job of trying to work with state associations and to get involved in local issues. Like there was an issue recently about whether you could smoke on beaches in Miami and in South Florida. And, you know, we, they, the PCA worked with local people and local leadership to get an exemption for cigars. And they're working right now in Rhode Island. They're working in a tax cap in Indiana. They're working on the Oregon uh, cigar bar bill. They're, they're working all over the country with limited resources. So one of the things the PCA is trying to do is, develop and have stronger state associations of retailers uh, so that they can support because obviously you can't have three guys cover the entire country, every municipality. So I think that a lot is being done. That that's just awesome work. I have nothing but the utmost respect for the PCA employees. Um, I know this is a minority position of, of everyone on the board, but I think that we need more employees. We've got, I don't know, five, six employees doing the work of 12, people and they all do an amazing job they work their butts they, off they do they I've do never had employees you know you ask them to do something and they'll do it and they'll report back every single one of them and it, it's amazing what we what the employees do at the pca um, but they they need they need more support we need more employees um so i i so the answer to your question i think that judicially we've had some successes but you know you can only spend so much money and then the CRA is picking up a lot of that. And the CAA helps also. And there's, there's, some, there's been some infighting, I guess, about bills or whatever. But judicially and legislatively, we've been, we've been working hard. Um, so I think it has to be a multiple approach because, you know, governments learn from one another. If a small city in California says, hey, we want to ban flavored cigars, then a city in Ohio might decide to follow suit. And, you know, it, it's constantly playing whack-a-mole. And you've got to be aggressive. And I like the fact that PCA is moving less on the defensive and being more proactive, like with this, this model uh, bill for uh, cigar bars in different states. Uh, who knows? It might even get one passed in New York. So I think that the PCA is doing a, a tremendous job with very limited resources. I actually spent um, a day with Josh at the LaFleur tour when we were pro cigar. Uh, yeah. I have a very, very positive impression of him. Um, Plus his desire, he, he knows a lot, this guy, um, already. And um, he's learning more, which is amazing, too. Um, I mean, I didn't know he even worked retail, this guy. So, you know, there's little things I learned about Josh that I didn't know on that trip. He, he works at a cigar shop. He's a Yeah, he works at a cigar shop. At yeah. university. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I did, it was a little thing I learned about. Um, you know, one thing I kind of was talking to him about, and, and, and this will be before we kind of get to the next segment. And we're going to get to some of the more timely topics, I promise. <laughs> but um, because I asked, I said, right now, I think there's a big I think there's a gray area with PCA and CRA. 
Um, and, and that's basically cigar action and the cigar rights of America. I see communications come from one end and not the other end. And I think the problem is right now, you're not hitting the same audiences. They're different. PCA audience is different than the CRA audience. And I think stuff's getting missed right now. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think there needs to be more coordination between PCA, the CRA, and the CAA. And they are working on that. I mean, you know, Christian Arroyo is one of our new board members. And uh, part of the reason that we asked him to be on the board, uh, besides his experiences in the industry, is he has a lot of connections with CAA. And Alan yeah. Rubin has connections with CRA. And there's been a lot more talk especially the last board meeting we had in BC in February about making sure that we're coordinating our actions. And I think that we recognize that the organizations need to figure out where we have common ground, where we can work yeah. things out. And um, I, I think it's an improving situation. But yeah. I would agree that uh, there's probably some areas where the PCA and the CRA can coordinate better. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it would, because again, I, I look at, if you're both expending resources, right? Because any activity you guys do, it costs money one way or another, right? I, I just like, that's something I think could be streamlined really easy. Like, hey, just... just Yeah, there, there, there's kind of a, a, I don't know what the politically correct word for it is, so I'll just say there's sort of a gentleman's agreement right. that if it's a federal issue, CRA is going to be the first person to tackle it. And if it's more of a state or local issue, PCA will tackle it. And then I know that there's been a lot of cases where we may not have lobbyists on the ground in certain states, but CAA does. And I apologize. I don't remember what CAA stands for. Cigar, C Cigar Association of America. Okay. Duh. Yep. Cigar, so, so CAA has been, uh, particularly the last couple of months, they, they've been uh, really helpful in coordinating with them. So there has been a lot of coordination on that. Uh, Glenn Loop recently talked about that at our last PCA board meeting that, uh, they, that they're the CA people that are embedded in various states have been a big assistance. So I think that more coordination is happening, but certainly more coordination would not hurt, particularly if we're going to have to deal with another lawsuit with the FDA. And I think that's just a matter of time. Yeah, I agree. Actually, and I think, you know, the CAA has got some new leadership in there, too. And I and from what I'm hearing, that's helped uh, the, the new guy, David, who's in there is the new um I guess he's the, I guess he's like the executive director is his title. Um, yeah. You know, he seems like I've heard just good things so far of people interacting with him from the other organizations. Yeah. So, so that's a good sign. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, it, it, we have we have other strategic partnerships we're working on as well. Um, you know, I, I think there is definitely an understanding at the board level that wherever we can find common ground to work with other people in the tobacco industry, we want to work with them. Yeah. Um, it just makes, it makes sense. And that way you're not duplicating resources. Yep. Agree. Okay. Aaron, anything else we want to hit with Jay that you want to cover that maybe I missed or we missed here? No, I think we're pretty good. We'll hit some of the more up-to-date topics. Yep. So, Later. yep. We'll hit, we're going to hit some of the up-to-date topics, but we'll, we'll do, we're going to change gears. We'll do some of our fun topics now, Jay. Yep. All right. So, uh, uh, and we, we'll see. This is fun. Yep. <laughs> okay. No, it's cool. Some of the non cigar stuff we'll hit now and then we'll, we'll kind of come back to it. Uh, cause I guess there's a couple things going on. Right. So we could talk about, um, I have all no right. No idea so, what you're talking about. <laughs> me neither. Right. 
right. All right. So, so Jay, our cattle baron steak question in the night. All right. I want to know your favorite cut of steak. I would say the, the filet, though, if the, if the steakhouse does a good New York strip, I like a really good New York strip. Um, the local, uh, local uh, steakhouse I go to, Chamberlain's, they have a really thick uh, New York strip steak that I've been favoring that more and more recently. Um, so I guess I, I used to be a filet person, but I'm becoming more of a New York strip person. Good, good. That's good. All good. By the way, I got a confession to make. I did not get to Saga. Oh, man. I was at dinner with Carlito for wow. six hours. Uh. <laughs> I was like, I was, no, I was at lunch that went to dinner. I had one <laughs> of the most amazing meals, though. Believe me. There was El Pistacio. No, yes, El Pistacio, <laughs> yes. And, and Carlito will tell you, like, when I got to the sixth portion, I couldn't move, right? Like, I was worried about eating this last portion that it made me ugly, right? Because I was so full. And... If you think there was any way I was going to Saga at that point and like looking at people eating tomahawks, it, it wasn't <laughs> happening. So, <laughs> I mean, Paulo is just amazing. Yeah, I remember when I was last there in 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 May, and Paulo is just talking for five or ten minutes, and I looked at Cyril and I'm like, I don't understand a word of what he's saying, but his passion and his love, and he is just always such a tremendous host. Yeah. And as great as the food is at Saga, there's nothing like being at Paulo's restaurant. Uh, it was That's like home. Yeah, and Aaron, this is like a they have a private room in the back, the Fuentes. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlito like basically had the restaurant open for us early. Like so like we got there for a late lunch. Right. And so they had to open it before the dinner. Like it's closed for a couple of Carlito oh, yeah, had it opened for us. Yeah. And and it was portion after portion. And like they look small, but they fill you they'll believe me, they fill you. And then he, Carlito has this thing. It's like an Italian sushi, Italian style sushi. <laughs> and he really wanted me to try it. And I'm like, and it looked good. And I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't move. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so oh, he's a tremendous host. And of course he's handing out, you know, all kinds of wild cigars and unicorns and, and a Lancero, and just, the Lancero 20th anniversary. Oh, that's an amazing. Oh uh, yeah. Even me for saying that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, so, uh, yeah, so that, so that was, so I didn't go to Saga. Uh, I was, I was hoping I was going to talk about Tomahawks this week, but no, it, it did not happen. Uh, but, but I, I, no complaints. <laughs> this was unbelievable. Yeah. So, One right. of the cool things at Saga that you'll have to see next time you're there is back from the restaurant, they have a little humidor and they have boxes for all the submit, uh, Dominican cigar makers. Oh, really? I you really thought it. that through. So like Fufi has a box and Lito has a box, Ciro has a box, Carlito has a box, um, Phil uh, Zingy, he has a box. And and there's a few cigars that they sell there. And um, I always joke with Fufi. I said, yeah, you know, the, the Swishers are paying for this. But uh, he that is a first class restaurant and it is an awesome time. Uh, the service there and usually, especially if you're there, like Nirk is there or Fufi's there, the, wonderful hosts yeah but if you can have six hours of carlito uh at paula's restaurant that's hard to beat no it's hard to beat and, and fred was like you coming to saga and i uh and at first i just said let me get back to you right and like fred this ain't happening <laughs> like, like, like well, at least you made it to noah's right noah's is not I did, that great yeah. risotto i don't even eat risotto and that's right phenomenal. so no yeah fred i went i met fred and christian hudson at noah uh and that was another amazing fred found some sort of a bacon like appetizer that we split 
And <laughs> when it came to like who got the last piece, there was no one like, well, Fred, that's yours. <laughs> yeah. We're not touching the bacon on Fred, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and that was great. We were smoking outside at that place too. So that was a lot of fun. Um, with that so uh no it was so yeah that's uh i went to some very staple restaurants anyway uh but i was telling about this little pistachio just to kind of wrap it up i was i told my wife i said i had the best italian food ever in the dominican republic i'm just <laughs> telling you not and i've been to italy and so yeah. like this was really good like you could just taste how fresh those tomatoes were is all i could tell you so uh so that was good all right, let me do a few sponsor, Jay, and then uh, if you need to stretch or whatever, that's good. And then we'll kind of get back into the next segment. Okay. All right, well, I mentioned Tailored Smoke, located in the heart of downtown Charlotte's epicenter, and now outside the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Tailored Smoke is your one-stop shop for a tailored smoking experience. And by JRE Tobacco, the authentic Corolla leaf is the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars of Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because this is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Arroyo took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, who and his son Husto bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in 100% authentic Corojo Puro, San Andreas Maduro, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade, Honduran-grown Cramaroon seed, or Habano, representing the Golden Age of Scars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, we take pride in the fact that we are cigar fanatics just like you. That is why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, we have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers like Avo, CLE, Drew Estate, Perdomo, Gurkha, and Oliva. They have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount prices. But don't just take our word for it. Forbes Magazine selected. Corona Cigar Company is the best of the web. Corona Cigar is voted a top five internet cigar retail by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. Place an order online at www.coronacigar.com or visit one of Corona's four central cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And we're going to uh, also, I want to mention Aganorsa Leaf. Uh, check out our Aganorsa uh, experience coverage on Cigar Coop. You go into the sidebar. Uh, we are finishing our recap this month of the um, the TPE releases. Um, and I think we're going to be doing some new content for this month, probably around the Cerberus, which I got a chance to smoke uh, over the past weekend. Um, Aaron, I think you'll actually like that cigar. I hope. <laughs> But uh, but we'll say we'll say we'll say we'll say it was good. It was good. Um, so definitely check that out. And let's get into our Alec Bradley uh, Live True segment, sponsored by Alec Bradley. Do you really want to hear another cigar ad that talks about fillers, binders, wrappers, and aging ratings? Blah blah blah. How about this? Pick up an Alec Bradley cigar, smoke it, enjoy it. Spend an hour and say, "Mm-hmm, you're one happy camper." Learn more at alecbradley.com. All right. So, Jay, we're going to hit you with, with some of our, uh, our uh, Live True questions here. Um, and these are um, all things that are related. Uh, 
I believe all these are non-cigar related tonight. No, one, there is one cigar thing. There is one cigar question in here tonight. All right, you ready? Sure, shoot. All right. A topping on pizza that you like besides cheese? Oh, pepperoni. Okay, most popular. I would say that's the most popular answer, but this is only the second time I've done this question. So... <laughs> And I'll throw some pineapple on too. I don't care what people say. I don't care. I don't care either. I mean, it's just if someone wants pineapple on pizza, I don't like it, right? But but I don't see like like this this sin that is committed. Like I've seen weirder things on pizza than than pineapple. Like tuna. Minnesota puts tuna, tuna on their pizza. There is a tuna. By the way, there is a tuna pizza, but it's like nothing like pizza, right? Is what I'll tell people. But yeah, there is. It's it's you gotta it's it's. People, the tuna I've had on pizza, it's what like oil. It's like with, mixed with an oil. It's very good, but it's nothing. I wouldn't even try to compare it to. I would not put cheese on it. Is what I'm telling people. Do not put cheese. Is in it tuna like tuna tartar or like tuna fish? Like tuna fish. Okay, I could do tuna tartar, maybe. Maybe yeah. Had the right but, seasoning. I, I don't know. But you know, like I love anchovies on pizza, but I don't like it with cheese. I'll get it without cheese. I'll get like a tomato pie with it. That's the way I like it. And there's just something about the cheese and the f- and Aaron. Aaron's like disgusted right now. So, <laughs> yeah, you guys are on the yeah wrong topics. The, the pineapple yeah, is much pepper, more. Pepperoni is uh, the way to go. Yeah, yeah, easy yeah. answer there. Safe answer. Get get some of that real dry but, pepperoni. It's good. But I will say, like, an uh, that's more like a New York style pizza, like a Chicago pizza that's stuffed. Spinach is awfully hard to beat. I agree. Spinach and mushrooms, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. All right. This is a cigar question. All right. One of these types of cigar packaging you want to see go away. All right. And here are your choices. Coffins, paper bundles, not cello, or tubes. Can I say yes? Um, I hate all of them, but I probably hate paper the most. Yes. Um, (laughs) Because it's difficult well, as a consumer, I don't mind it, but as a retailer, it's difficult to, you know, present it in a nice way. Uh, I've said that too. I, I think for mail order, it works too. I, if, you, if you're doing mail oh, order, yeah. it's fine, right? But if you're in a retail, that's the. I remember when my son worked and he had to put the cigars that came in paper bundles, and they were constantly struggling how to present these, like because they want to show singles. Like at the Great Smoke, we got we. I purchased a couple of bundles of. Steve Saka's Red Meat Lovers. It's great. It's in paper. It's in easy. But if I had that in my retail store, most customers are not going to have $130 for a bundle. And so then you have to take it out of that and put it into a, somebody else's box. And it just, it looks unprofessional. I meant to buy a bundle of those too. I, I was, I had a lot of distractions going on at the Great Smoke. So uh, was it good? Was that, was that meat stick good? I liked it. Uh, to me, it didn't taste a lot like a red meat lover cigar. It tasted more like a tricky traca, and I love tricky traca. So I enjoyed it. And uh, if if Steve were to pop in, he'd probably tell me I'm dead wrong. But I like the fact that it wasn't box pressed and that it was more like a stronger tricky traca. And I like that. So it, to me, it wasn't really what I'd call a red meat lovers, but it was a phenomenal cigar. I've smoked like three or four of them. I've given two or three away. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I know Aaron Aaron and his team were very big on the box press. I was a little higher on the rounder one, 
but uh, they were they were good cigars. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve does a good job. Yeah, and he didn't like he didn't go into this like saying ah who's gonna buy this cigar? You know, it's like he <laughs> he was like this one he was like pounding his fist on this is a good cigar. He's like so. You know, he had an auction at the dinner where he had like eight. I want to say eight, maybe it was ten other blends that he's he's making and i i was the lead bidder and then i i lost by a couple hundred dollars because he threw in some some old cigars from another company he used to work for but <laughs> i would have been very interested in smoking those and he's like oh yeah you're just gonna put those on the shelves i'm like no steve i'm gonna smoke them all <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i i'm very interested i think that red meat lovers may become more of a staple at smoking and maybe it becomes a national brand i think steve's got something in those those cigars and yeah i think he recognizes it uh, so kudos to Steve. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, um, I know Aaron, you guys had that in your top five, right? Uh, it's number two cigar. Number two. So, I mean, and I, agree. and I've been, like I said, I've been disappointed with a lot of single store releases, but that's a very good release. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll agree with on that. I, I had a more of a preference for the round, but a lot of people really love the box press and the box press is still very good. It's cigar. I certainly would buy and smoke again, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and the meat stick, what was that, Jay? It was like a, was it like a Corona Gorda size or? I want to say it was like a six by 48. What was unique about it? Remember when the Neanderthal first came out and it had that solid yep. flat surface on top? Well, it had a solid flat surface on the top and the bottom, which was very interesting. interesting so like yeah. when you cut it, it you, could, you got no draw until you burn the, the bottom tobacco okay. off. Yeah, that makes um, it more like a meat stick. That name now make, sounds... Because yeah. like I thought it was going to be a Lancero. I thought it was going to be a Lancero original. Like, oh, come on, Steve, really? But yeah, That would but, make more sense, too. No. Like Slim Jim. No, it, it, it was yeah, more that's of a Slim Jim. Yeah, that's what I was or Corona Gorda. Yeah. yeah. And that's Steve's size. He likes something that's 646, 648 range. Yeah. So I, I could see that um, going there. What was the auction that they did at? This is the first I heard, heard about an auction at this thing. So he said that he's working on some prototype blends and he had, I think, bundles of 10 of like eight prototype blends. And I was bidding it up because I really wanted to smoke them. And then he threw in some old cabinets from a company he used to work for. And uh, they were like from 2008, 2009. And also a tray of, um, of unicorns. And I think I topped out at 3,500. I think it went for 37 or 3,900. Wow. And uh, I, I was a little disappointed, but I was happy. Like Evan said, hey, thanks for driving up. I, you know, whoever got it got a great deal. And um, I, I think Steve wants to see Rep Mead Lovers become more of a staple, maybe not just to smoke in, maybe other places. And I think Abe said that that is his most successful, um, I don't want to say house cigar, but, you know, of the blends that Abe's done, I think Abe said that might have been his most successful over time. I, I can actually so don't believe that. Yeah. Get it from Abe. Yeah, I can actually believe that. Um, you know, he's had some very good ones, but yeah, this one definitely has been. They've done four releases of it already, so that's normally Abe does a one and done, and but he and if he brings it back, it's because it's sold. But that I think the only one that's come back four times. So yeah, it's a, I think Steve's going to make more of what he had at the dinner because I I just be honest, I didn't like the third release as much as the first two, but I really like this one, and he was talking about maybe. Uh, selling that fourth release that he had at the dinner where it kind of like what he did for the, the DTT cigar that he did for the great smoke last year. Well, they'll take, take pre-orders and then when they're made, they'll release them. So I think there's more coming. Yeah. And I know I'm going to order some more. It, it was a great cigar. 
Yeah, I gotta check that out. I gotta find out from Abe what's going on with that because, uh, uh, yeah, I heard. I can say a lot of people were talking good about that. So, uh, all right, let's go to the next question here. A pet that you would want to have besides a dog or cat, and you may already have this pet, but it can't be a dog I, or I cat. Have three, I have three cats, a, a dog, and a gecko. Um, okay, you got a gecko, yeah. Oh, it's the most expensive animal in the world. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind some sort of a turtle, but I don't know what I would do with it. Um, every time I get fish, they die. So probably some sort of reptile. Um, I don't know. I, I d- definitely don't want to deal with like a rabbit or a squirrel or anything weird like that or a potbelly pig. I'd probably eat it. You know, I'd invite Fred Rury over and we'd eat the potbelly yeah, pig. Yeah. So probably probably be like a, a turtle or a reptile of some sort. Nice. Nice. All right. True or false, you played hooky from school? Only on senior ditch day. Okay. I was very serious about school. Good for you. Most, everyone else, though, is not serious and has played hooky when that question has been asked. Good, good one. That's a good one. A musical instrument that you don't play that you would like to play? Uh, probably guitar. I, I took some guitar lessons when I was in the seventh grade, and I wish I would have kept with it because I, I really liked uh, guitar. I uh, I actually tried guitar when I got older. I switched the bass because it was easier. And drums are too loud for me. Yeah, it, bass is easier is what I'll say, but it's kind of boring without like playing with other people. So, but bass is very easy because you you can you can basically hack it. And, and, and you're fine. So guitar, you, it's a little harder to hack, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you could set the speed limit for driving in your state, what would that speed limit be? Proceed at your own risk. <laughs> that's the Texas answer. Which is what it is. That, unless you're in Plano, Texas, that's pretty much what it is in Texas anyways. I mean, I don't think I ever go faster than 80 82, 83 miles an hour, I get nervous. But I, I think that uh, what Montana did was fine. I, and, but I guess it had a due process problem or something. Um, oh, really? My issue is in Texas, especially when there's ice, people drive too fast. Uh, so I, I think that if, if you have a, if you're reasonable, it should be whatever you reasonably think it should be. Um, but I know small towns, that's a lot of their income by giving people speeding tickets. So. Uh, in Texas, I think it's 75. There might even be a few places it's 85. I don't remember. But unless you're, unless you're in certain speed traps around Dallas, you're not going to have any, any issues with driving as fast as you want to in Texas. I mean, if you go over 100, that might be an issue. But yeah. Growing up in New York City, it was 50. Wow. On the, yeah. I remember it was 55 when I went to college. In the state, was it was 55. miles south. Yeah, it was 55 in the state, but 50 in the city. But there's not really a lot of open highways where you can go fast in New York City either. I mean, there's highways in, in a couple of boroughs, but for the most part, you can't really, you just can't, you know, you can't go like 70 very easy, you know, yeah. unless, unless you just, you know, just, unless the road's really empty. I remember spending a lot of minutes sitting on Delancey Street just crawling at half a mile an hour to get to where I had to get to back in the day when I was there in business. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. All right. A home repair that you need to call outside help for. 
pretty much anything. That's me. As we get that answer a lot. That's like me with everything. I mean, I, I can hang a picture. Uh, my wife is actually much more good at this stuff than I am because her dad has a had a home repair business before he retired. But plumbing, electrical, all that stuff, I mess it up. Oh, Jay, we're 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 on the same page here. My wife's more handy than me. It's the truth. Like she could fix the oh, toilet, yeah, but I, 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 but she knew that marrying me that she wasn't getting someone handy. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, every repair is is outside. Uh, the good news is I have boys who actually are better at it than me and her. So, but uh, you know, they're not gonna be here forever. Okay, if you had a reality show, Jay, what would the title of it be? I can't believe you just said that. Because I, I always say things that I think shock people. Uh-huh. Um, I don't care. If you, if you, my wife has said this since she started dating me. If you want to know what's in Jay's mind, just ask him. <laughs> and I think sometimes I, I, I got a lot of heat for this when I was a lawyer. Um, if you ask me something, I will give you, I will tell you, I don't want to answer. I'll give you a direct answer. I, I'm, I'm not going to BS you. Very good. Was that so? Wait, your title was. I can't believe you just said that. Yeah, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah, I thought that was the title on it, Jim. All right, Jay, you got through those. So those were our live true segment uh, questions. Um, moving into the next segment, uh, Jay, we know you're a Sopranos fan. You've commented a lot on on Sopranos. Um, we've talked a little about this. I think Aaron and I are ready. But I was kind of curious to get your thoughts on this. Um, how did you like the way the series ended? Final episode, final episode, maybe the final couple of episodes. I think I, I, well, unlike you, I, I liked the last half season because I think it showed the reality. Like, when, like it broke my heart when Silvio was put into a that, coma. That, I didn't like and, that. Yeah. And, I, and Christopher died. But yeah. I think it showed the reality of, you know, that, they, they live a very dangerous lifestyle um, and very few people got out of it alive. Mm. The last episode when I first saw it, I really didn't like it. But now that I've watched the series five or six times, I like the fact that Chase left it open-ended. Um, you know, eventually things are probably going to catch up with Tony. Uh, there was talk in the last episode that, that they had some serious indictments that were probably going to come his way. And it it's one of those things where, like I didn't like people complained about Dexter, which I really like Dexter and people complained about the final season. Well, the reboot, which was probably well done. I hated the way it ended because I think when you have an anti-hero, you almost don't want them to get their comeuppance. So I think that it was, uh, it was good to leave things open. Um, I think that as a parallel, I like the ending of Godfather three. And I, I think did Godfather too. I suffers. did too. People complain about Godfather three because they're comparing it to the first two, but Godfather three by itself is a great movie. Absolutely. But I think, you know, Michael losing his daughter, it, it completed the tragedy. And I thought it Coppola did an excellent job. And Eli Wallach makes that and him and Joe Mantanga make that movie worth watching. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that I like the Indian Sopranos because I think it leaves things open. You know, is he going to get killed? Is he going to get indicted? You know, what's going to happen? Is, is AJ ever going to grow up? I like the fact that they just left you out in the open. But like I said, the first time I saw it, I was just like, I thought my TV went out. I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I hated I I didn't mind that part. I didn't like it. 
but I, the, you hit the part. I did not like how Bobby died. Um, I didn't like how Silvio was in this coma. Um, obviously they killed Christopher. I kind of could see that happening as a way. I mean, I could have maybe held that for the last episode, but, um, and I thought the whole thing, obviously they had to bring closure with Phil Leotardo. And I think that was, that was necessary. I love how he goes. Yeah. The, the rolling head. <laughs> no, the, By the way, if I have one complaint, if I have one complaint about the Sopranos, it's the character of Johnny Sack because Johnny Sack was one of my favorite uh, part-time characters yeah, in they the don't. show. And he, by the end, I, I didn't like him. I didn't respect him. And I, if, if I was the actor that played John Sacramone, I would be upset because I feel like they didn't do his character justice. I, Christopher made sense. Bobby probably made sense. Silvio, that was emotional. Um, but I, I think that, that if anyone got short of the stick, by their demise, it was Johnny Sack because Johnny Sack was this character that you liked him, even when him and Tony fought. Um, and then they, I thought they destroyed his character in the last season. They, they did. I think they did. I, I agree. Kind of, even like the whole part about Phil making fun of him crying and stuff like that. I kind of got it, you know, because it was it was terrible. I just yeah. didn't like that whole. Uh, I, I hated it. Yeah. Um, I would have rather seen a Johnny Sack. And, and the whole cancer thing, I didn't like the whole cancer thing either. Um, yeah. I just it just was a bad way to do it as well. Aaron, we didn't talk about this yet, but um, Bear and I actually I think mentioned it went on the last show. But I'm curious, and I'll get both your thoughts. That whole Sopranos commercial at the Super Bowl. Yeah, what were your thoughts on it? I, I thought it was cool. Uh, a little bit of retro for you know the Soprano fans. Um, I think they did it well. Um, I think having Meadow in the car in the car rather than it being AJ <laughs> made a that, lot more sense. Great, that's I a good point. Was, if yeah. it was AJ, it would have been like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like you you're like yeah. first you throw many saints at us and now you throw this commercial at us, like just kill this, just remove this from ever, you know, this series ever being brought up in any kind of current <laughs> yeah. culture again. But with Meadow in it, I think it was it was pretty cool. Jay, how about you? I like many Saints of Newark, which that would have to yeah. be with the Irishman for the, the biggest good waste man, of my good time. Good man. You're a good man, Jay. <laughs> um, but I, I liked it because I, I one thing I did like about the final season is I think Meadow kind of – she made – she made a she sort of came back to mom and dad. And in a lot of ways, uh, she reminded me of um, – the I can't remember. She was in the one of the cartels down in Tijuana in real life that she ended up running things. I could really see Meadow as she got older, taking over the realms and taking over the reins as a female Don. And I liked the way that the, you know, that, that historic opening, the music and everything. And I could see her as being the Don and I don't care about the, the car and how they're saying, Oh, well, you know, that, you know, that he had to have the cigar information. He had to have the cigar and I know they couldn't put it in the commercial. But. Yeah. But, you know, if she had a six pack of beer, that's okay. Right. Apparently, according <laughs> yeah, to America. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I forgave for that. It, it, it got me excited. It made me go, it made me want to go watch The Sopranos again. And I thought um, it showed what great justice they did to her character, but also showed how they never really developed AJ's character. He was just the last season and a half. I, I wanted to oh, put him it underneath was so the SUV. Sad that set the on fire. I mean, <laughs> It was I mean, they started with what? No fucking ZD. And by the end of the exactly. series, had no respect for AJ. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, they, they didn't do a good job with this character. Um, but, I, you know, Meadow's character, I felt like she was maybe going to go into the family business near the end if she doesn't get killed in the diner. So I, I really love the to me, that was my favorite commercial in the Super Bowl because it just made me want, want to watch Sopranos again. And unlike shows like The West Wing, which are, they sh they're really dated when you watch them again, The Sopranos, you can watch it over and over again. And it's just extremely well done. So I, I'll forgive him for not having the cigar. It's a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wasn't buying into a whole female Don character with that when I watched it. Um, but you made some good points. You guys both made some good points with this. Um, and I didn't think about it. Yeah, Meadow, in that last season, she broke up with Finn. And she started dating Patsy Parisi's son, uh, who was one of the enforcers under Tony. Mm -hmm. I think he was one. Of, I think he was the most ruthless of the enforcers. Like, he didn't have any... He had no sympathy, this guy. I mean, he was, <laughs> he he was, was a cold, good regime. cold as yeah. ice. He was. Yeah. <laughs> and I can maybe see that now. Now you guys are saying that I could see this. Yeah. That that Patsy's son kind of comes in there and maybe Meadow becomes, you know, they, they kind of jointly run this thing. I, that's an interesting thing. I, I didn't. That, that I mean, you me see it in real life. Uh, that you know, a lot of a lot of women. I'm, I'm flipping a little on this. The husbands and fathers are all in jail. We yeah. saw it with the the, the woman in uh, Italy. Yeah, yeah. I was just running the business. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. That's a good point as well. Uh, that's when they uh, she yeah. gave Tony Furio. Yep. They did a great job with, I think, Meadows character. And then it like it was an absolute guilty pleasure to see her in Entourage. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I enjoyed her in those episodes as well. With Turtle? Where she played herself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, with yeah. Turtle, of oh. all people. Given, <laughs> given Turtle I guess they had a relationship in real life or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was like, uh, that was, he was, he was good on there. He, he was definitely good on there. Uh, he didn't last long on that. I didn't like how they just, well, she went off and did a movie and poor Turtles, like, yeah. heartbroken. Well, so. I guess they broke up in real life, so they couldn't really continue with it. True, But yeah. she was in there maybe a season and a half. Yeah, she was. Um, she was, that's when uh, yeah. they were doing that, when he was doing that movie. The, the cloud jumpers or whatever and, and Turtle yeah. B is filming of it to go meet her on a booty call or something like that. So, But uh, oh, one more question I'll just ask you because uh, Aaron, Aaron and, but you did like Many Saints in Newark, right? You just said that, so you broke the tie here. <laughs> I have enough heat for both of you, so don't worry about it. I'm still tied. <laughs> I thought Many Saints in Newark was a good idea, but I think they focused on the wrong characters. And I, I think it didn't do justice. It was not, inter the whole thing about Christopher talking about how his uncle murdered him, that was stupid. But the fact that he was supposed to be tight with uh, Christopher's dad, they didn't do a very good job of showing how tight he was. And plus it was very confusing, the whole thing that, I can't imagine that Christopher's father's wife would have raised the daughter of the son of his gumar that was just a weird plot thing that just didn't make yeah, sense that's There's, a good point that's a good point there that. were it there were internal inconsistencies that i had troubles with and whoever was playing um silvio was just over the top um yeah. and ray liotta needs to stop doing gangster movies there were just so I many bad liotta, things i thought Riotta was great in the movie you didn't like i thought he was i thought he was I, he was a parody of ray liotta from every movie he's been in since goodfellas <laughs> i just I, I like that. I, I don't like know. The Many States of Newark just, it, they did not, the, their primary job should have shown how Dickie Multisante was a mentor to Tony. And that's 
absent that, they, from the movie. And they did miss that. I, I agree that they missed that. Um, but Aaron, Aaron figured out why I liked the movie before I figured it out. Because he said you like the setting, and I'm like, yeah, that was he's, he's right. Oh, of course. That was that was what you know, really and put it, it. And it was a little too. Can I say it's a, it was a little too woke for its own good. I don't have a problem with the show being woke, but it, it it was it was overly woke, and it wasn't necessary to the movement of the plot. I think they would have done a better movie just focusing on the relationship with him and his mother. That was really well done, and with Janice, there were there were other storylines that they touched on in that movie that I thought would have been better pursued. So I felt like they needed to do a rewrite. So there were some elements of the show I really liked. Uh, but all things considered, I, I don't think it did justice to the Sopranos and it was internally inconsistent in my opinion. But yeah, I, if you grew up in that area, you know, just that the homage yeah. and the timing. And they also, Tony's age was really weird because when you worked it back in the, in, from the, the TV series, he was probably born around 1965, 66. And the show had him too old for his age so it just it it didn't fit um and also the fact that i like the fact that tony was working with african-american gangsters but that's not consistent with his character in the show that he was so anti-black when his his daughter was dating a black guy so there were just things that were that it just didn't tie in with the sopranos if it was just a movie by itself okay fine but it it didn't like they had scenes like the scene where he's his father shoots through his mother's beehive hair. It was almost like they put that scene in there just to say, oh yeah, we remembered when this was talked about yeah. in Sopranos home movies, but it didn't fit. It didn't belong in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they also, D minus. Well, I think, it, yeah, it was, I, I, I liked it better. Like I said, I, there were, you know, there were, the other thing that we never mentioned talking about this, Aaron and I, but I just thought of it now. I would have liked to see the whole Hesh connection, like how the relationship yes. with Hesh started. Mm-hmm. That would have been very interesting to me because I was always a miss. Has she been in the movie? No, I don't think Hesh was in yeah, the movie. I, I didn't get that because um, Hesh was obviously involved. And also it would have been good to see the um, Carmine Lubertazzi's family, too. I mean, I guess you could figure out who was who half the time. It w- almost would have been better to have like a seven episode miniseries because exactly. they didn't have it time to develop a prequel series. Yeah. Which I think is still on the table, it sounds like. I don't know if it's moving, but I've heard it's been talked about again. And, and I, I didn't mind James Gottolfini's son's role. I don't think he did a bad acting job. I thought the other kid was so better. Issues. I thought the younger Tony was oh, better. the younger kid. The younger kid was better than Gandolfini, yeah. I mean, I, I heard all this stuff about... The, the, he reminded... But the one thing I did think was interesting is the younger Gandolfini reminded me so much of AJ. Yeah, yeah, I saw more of a yeah, you know, and you saw more of AJ with with that. Um, and, and I think that's where the series, like we talked earlier, I think did the service to AJ's character. Uh, they could have done a lot better with AJ the last couple seasons because uh, I think AJ is a yeah. lot like Tony, and I, it would make sense that AJ, that Tony was like AJ, and also the the one scene he had with Carmela just didn't fit. Um, you know, they they that was a, they they should have developed Carmela more and developed Hesh more or had Hesh at all. Yeah. And the fact that Tony wasn't really, uh, he wasn't in the family business, but Silvio was and all these other guys and pussy. It just, it, it just didn't, what, it just didn't fit right with the, the series and with the flashbacks that they did in the original series. That was my main complaint is that it yeah, just wasn't I mean, internally consistent. 
I would. And the other thing is, I, this is one I would say they needed to have more Johnny Soprano. He was not as important a character as I would have expected in that movie. Especially and he was a great Tony, character. I don't remember who played him. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, but there was a lot with Tony's relationship with his father in in the flashbacks and Doctor Melfi's office. Yeah. And stuff that, yeah, that that would they miss that, that that they totally missed. I'll, I'll agree. I'm hoping that, like I said, they do something else down the line with this. So and maybe they can re, re, you know, fix it. But I wouldn't do another movie. I do. I do eight episodes or something like that. I mean, a, mini, a mini series. You could do a one shot mini series with the thing. You don't have to make it an ongoing series. I, I think if they did it like Better Call Saul, yep. like they could do. They could start like four or five years beforehand. They could independently develop Melfi and independently develop um, when, um, what was his name? Richie Prio's brother who died at the beginning. Jackie. Um, Jackie. He, yeah, it, they, they could have developed like when Pussy first got pinched for, for dealing H and then Jackie. And there's a lot of good stuff that they could develop in a, like a prequel series like Better Call Saul that's more like five or six years before The Soprano started. I think that would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. We, Aaron and I talked about this part as well. The Jackie character was was it, they didn't really explain how Jackie passed Tony in the pecking order. Like like Jackie eventually became more powerful than Tony at some point. But from the prequel, you wouldn't have seen it. It was like Jackie, Artie Bucco and Tony hanging out together. And Tony was still kind of like the leader of those three. You know, yeah, Artie was still a fuck up. I mean, Artie was a fuck up with the ice cream truck scene and all but. But yeah, that was, uh, I thought that was a, I, I would have liked to have seen, they didn't, and I would like to have that explanation how Jackie kind of passed Tony and became the, you know, eventually he was Tony's boss. Yeah. So. All right. So that's our Soprano segment. So uh, we're going to do one more uh, commercial uh, sponsor segment and then we'll get into some uh, deliberation topics. I, I don't know what we'll talk about, but we'll, we'll find something. All right, so I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America for four generations and 126 years. J.C. Newman is handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 111-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman World Premium Cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines. The J.C. Newman Pensa Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's a Brickhouse, Polo Nomar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yagua cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, Black Diamond cigars are hand-rolled by tobacco lawyer A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With its longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newman's founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, health care, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. My Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas Cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas Connecticut, Casa Cuevas Habano, Casa Cuevas Mandura, La Mandaria, and Patrimonial line, as well as the Cuevas Reserve line. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask for your local retailer for Casa Cuevas Cigars. Casa Cuevas Cigars, from our casa to yours. And by Aventura Cigars. Aventura Explorer is the first creation by Marcel Noble and Henderson Ventura. Immediately after lighting up the Explorer, the Mexican rapper will delight the aficionado with its dark chocolate flavor. After a while and pleasure, the Dominican fill will flatter the aficionado's palate with wonderful spicy and leathery aromas and unite it with the wooden sweetness from Ecuador. Try Aventura Explorer and explore the wonderful experience. 
And we're going to get into our deliberation segment uh, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There is no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included seven consecutive top three appearances on the consensus, including the number one consensus cigar of the year with the Mi Carita Tricky Chaka. Visit DTC Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brand of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. All right. Actually, I'm, I've been kind of uh, kidding a bit. Um, Jay, I, I mean, when we booked you on the show. It wasn't we I don't think we would have known that we were going to have um, this topic on this week. Um, but, you know, we this whole thing about responsible marketing. Aaron and I have been talking about it for the past month uh, for sure whether it's on this show or offline um, this week, it kind of hit a new, um, a new um, level. Aaron, I want to start this off with you first, right? Because, okay. Because, and I'm curious, I'm curious, <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here and I'm not judging you. Okay. Yeah. Um, this press release was came out in the middle of the great smoke, right? Correct. Um, and uh, in fact, I really didn't look at it till about five o'clock, but, I, I made the decision not to publish the press release, and the press release in particular was from, from JSK, but you did make the decision. You did make the decision to publish it. I did. And well, I'm curious on your decision. I'm not judging it. I'm just kind of uh, going to go from your point of view on that. Uh, the reason I published it is because it is Cigar News, mm-hmm. and uh, I publish press releases about Cigar News. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's the that's the reasoning behind it. Yeah. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't feel that there's a need to judge between good and bad. Um, you know, in regards to that, uh, news is news. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, it's not, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, the, uh, I'm going to say I'm not the cigar release police. Um, even though I will play that role at, from times. Right. Right. Uh, I think- in regards to, you know, poor marketing and things like that. But I will, I could share my opinions, but I'm not going to uh, ditch a preference. But you just, you put that. out, okay, this is what JSK is doing. Yeah. You didn't editorialize it. And it's, it's a cigar that interests me. I'll say that as well. So, really? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I was like, I mean, I, I was like, all right, I guess I'm curious to see what is he doing so different with this cigar. Um, I'd like to, I mean, I guess he's going to talk about it at some point. Um, uh, possibly on KMA, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 here's the thing that surprised me. Nobody talked about this the day. I mean, when I saw it, like, and I saw it was like five o'clock at the great smoke when I saw mm-hmm. it or six o'clock, I'm like, damn, this is going to hit the fan, right? Someone's going to like, and lo and behold, no one said, oh, because you had it out there and some other people had it out there. Tiny Tim had it out there. Um, people, you know, some people are pretty well known. Um, but it wasn't until Charlie basically put gas out there on on Tuesday morning when it that right. it got yeah. any attention on it. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean, my opinion is that uh, like we didn't we didn't all just become aware of risk day based on this press release, right? So. I, you know, he, he's a guy that likes to push the envelope and, uh, you know, he likes to do different things in regards to, you know, different types of cigars and, you know, innovating, you know, at whatever level that may be. 
Um, and if he thinks that he can make flavored cigars better than the ones that are out there now, uh, you know, I, I, you know, hope he can try and, and do that because, uh, there's a lot of flavored cigars out there that, you know, I'm interested in trying because I want to experience the flavors that they say are there, but rarely do they deliver. Uh, so if Rusty has a way, has a way to be able to deliver that, uh, better, I'm up for experiencing that. So the company that's gotten, I think the reputation for these like candies and stuff is Ezra Zion. Sure. And they've been beat up by a lot of people. Um, do you, do you view this as different than as what Ezra? I, so I actually do view this as different what Ezra Zion's been doing because that risky, I think actually trying to like, I think Ezra Zion is just slapping a label on something doing, you know, and then, you know, saying it's a waffle cone, but I think Rich says there it's, it's some of the same and some different um, because I think there's two different. um, The other company that will, I'm sure will come up, um, comes up, hits two fronts as well. So I think what you have is you have, um, you know, uh, marketing that may be enticing to children or could be seen as being enticing to children because of, uh, flavors or imagery and whatever that, that may be. Um, and the packaging looks like it could be a bag of candy or a, some kind of a snack food. Right. So, right. you know, uh, yes, if, if, if a kid saw this sitting on the table in their dining room, they would go and open it. Right. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, so you have that. And then you also have like, you know, marketing where you're stealing other people's property, which is, also something that Ezra Zion does and that other companies do uh, not JSK from, no, from, no. from what I've seen. So um, yeah, those are kind of the, I think the two areas that kind of come up against this, but yes. And I know there's arguments on all sides of this, but you know, kids don't walk into cigar shops. Kids can't go to the website and that requires you to be 21. They don't have credit cards, all those things. Yes. But we all know, that kids get a hold of alcohol, kids get a hold of cigarettes, right. and they ain't, they're not going anywhere to buy them. Uh, except, you know, there may be some gas stations or whatever shops where you could possibly get one. But um, if a kid sees it sitting somewhere, they're going to open it. Or if they see a picture. See, and this is, the I was talking to Jay about this before in the green room. I think there's a difference between tobacco, like keeping kids from purchasing tobacco versus kids from consuming tobacco right and i think for the most part most retailers have the first piece under control no matter what the fda thinks yeah i mean i think most people do age verification they're not you know i'm talking premium tobacconists most of them aren't even letting these kids in the store um so i mean i think i think that the cigar community is doing good with that um I think that second piece is where they mix this up saying, well, just, well, well, we're, we're putting it like they'll use, they'll say, Hey, we're putting all these controls in, but the FDA is kind of saying, well, this stuff's still out there. And, and Aaron, you made the point, like, look, we all got underage. We all got liquor underage. I mean, we, yeah. there are ways to get it. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a rampant usage thing, but I think this is where the FDA is more concerned with. I don't, I don't think it's a matter of they're worried if you could buy this from a premium tobacconist or not. 
All right. So let me ask you guys a question here on, on both of this. So this thing blew up, not because of risk day, it blew up because of Pravada. Okay. Um, and I actually was saying this to Jay a little beforehand too. And I was just saying on the show today, I don't know exactly why, like Brian got up very upset about this video, felt it was directed at him. When anything that was in that article, was there anything new in that article? Like, like that was earth shattering that like, Brian talked about a lot of that stuff on our show. I mean, he, he talked about that stuff. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like a big surprise here. Like, so my thing is, I think he was kind of using this to push his own agenda here. He kind of seized the moment here with that. Um, and, and I'll say this, Brian has, you know, we've talked about some of that stuff with Brian and the whole thing came up about, you know, tobacco shops and stuff like that. But in general, I, I don't think Charlie could have wrote that article without mentioning some of the Pravada stuff, but I don't, sure. I, I still think that that wasn't the, I don't think that was the target in that article is, is my feeling on that. And I'm not trying to defend Brian because like I said, he's a controversial character, but um, that, that's just my feeling that I didn't, like, I don't understand what triggered him off on that, to be honest with you. You want to go first, Jay, before I kind of go at it? No, you can go first. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Charlie's article, I mean, I think he hit the three kind of like easy targets, which is risk day because the press release was timely. Right. Provada for the branding that they do for, uh, you know, cartoon characters, uh, food related items, whatever. Right. Ezra Zion for the same things. Like, so those are the three easy targets in that. They're not the only ones, but they're the ones that Charlie mentioned. And he may have mentioned some others I don't remember from the article. Um, so I think, you know, Charlie has to give some examples. Those are the ones that came to his mind. Caldwell was you know, in it too. Caldwell was okay. also in it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, he referenced them. Uh, but on the other, other side of it, um, you know, Brian's good at marketing. He knows what he's doing. He's yeah. going to take this as an opportunity to, you know, make another Dear Cigar Industry video, like his 15th one that he's done already. Right. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's going to take advantage of it. Um, you know, I think he's always got that kind of ear open for, you know, where can I see something that I, you know, that I could lend that they're talking yeah. about me and that, you know, you can play the, it's again, it's us against them. You know, uh, the old guard hates us. They hate what we're doing. We're going to take over and, you know, builds the whole thing and keeps the momentum and all that yeah. stuff. So I think he's, you know, kind of playing a bit of that. Um, some of the things he says in the videos about, you know, he's never going to read half wheel again. He'll, he's lost all respect for them. The next time half wheel mentions him, he'll have a video response to it. So he'll, he'll, you know, obviously he's not going to stop. Uh, uh, yeah. Time will tell on him. You know, he's playing the game. Um, he's thriving off of the energy. Um, and I think, you know, people are feeding into that. So, um, you know, uh, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I don't, you, I don't think you could fault him for, you know, trying to take advantage of it. Um, I, I, no, I, I so. can't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before you, yeah, no. Okay. Before you answer that, I'm going to answer another question here. Um, the four companies, let's say the four companies in there, Caldwell, Pravada, Ezra Zion, JSK, which is the one that I think the most damaging right now of what they're doing. Cause I, I have a definite answer on that. And I say Ezra Zion. I think Ezra Zion is the worst offender of this right now. 
I mean, it's released. Hard for me to release. say. Yeah, I, I, I feel yeah. like, you know, the, obviously the, the releases are more frequent and things like that, but I don't know what the reach is. So that's a fair comment. And, and, you know, yeah, that's a fair comment. Like Ezra's I, Lions not doing YouTube videos about their stuff. They only have 400 cigars to sell in a batch. Yeah. But you know, so. I think there's enough of that out there where I'm just saying if FDA finds a picture of it or something. No, I understand that. Um, because I think Caldwell's gotten away from it. I think Caldwell's moved away from some of that. I think, mm-hmm. and I, cause I think the narrative's changed. So I, you're not seeing the buttered popcorns anymore, the Land O'Lakes stuff. Right. I think he's gotten, and I'm not defending it, but I'm just saying, I think he's gotten away from that. Yeah. And I think Riste's just, as you could see, Riste was kind of became the secondary story here. Provider yeah. actually has, has, has said a lot about it and obviously it's put it out there, mm-hmm. but, but I still think it's Ezra Zion that is the one that scares me the most of the four. Right. Uh, just because look, 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 this thing comes out, and the next day they have the Snickers bar out there. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> and uh, I wonder, if, I wonder if that was deliberate timing as well. No one, exa- yeah. they had to know exactly what they were doing. Like, yeah, well, you know, this, did they really have that Snickers bar release egg for this week? <laughs> is my question. <laughs> so, all right, Jay, let's get some thoughts from you on this. Well. And you can take the fifth if you want to. So I'm not trying to. I actually had a, I actually have a problem with it. I, I think Charlie raises some very good points, but I think Charlie's article was more damaging to the cigar industry than it needed to be. Um, Charlie is very passionate and about the fact that as an industry, we should not be having any marketing that even remotely appears to cater to children. And he's right about that. But it, to me, the, the article came off as a temper, temper tantrum. If, yeah. if you've ever had children, uh, your, your kids will drive you nuts and drive you nuts, and then you just explode. And I felt like this article was a – Risty's product comes out, and it was like a temper tantrum. It was an explosion. And all he did was he provided exhibit A for the FDA to say, well, Half Wheel says that this company did this and this company did this and this company did this and this company did that. So I don't think that he, in the long run, did a favor to the cigar industry. Um, on the one hand, I, could, I feel for Risty because I know Risty was developing this project for years and that's kind of a big blow. But I'm kind of a, uh, a purist in the sense that, and I agree with Carlito that and, uh, you know, if you as a company decide that you're going to do something that clearly is marketed towards children or to remind adults of what they liked when they were children, you're hurting a lot of other companies. You know, you're hurting Nick Perdomo. You're hurting Lito Gomez. You're hurting George Padron. You're hurting Carlito Fuente. You're hurting Rocky Vettel. You're hurting Crux. You're hurting all these companies that are, are trying to to do it right. And ultimately, when the um, the FDA decides that they're going to, you know, blow things up, um, they're going to apologize. I got a plug in my computer. When the it, it it's going to hurt everyone. And I think that's the concern that I have is that ultimately, when you when you make a decision to sell brand X for your, um, your cigar company, you're, you're hurting all these other companies. Uh, here we go. My Mac is dying. Uh, so 
Risty releases this brand and he's going to sell X number of units. But what's the impact going to be on JC Newman? What is the impact going to be on Rocky Patel? What's the impact going to be on Cavalier? What's the impact going to be on Jake White? All these other companies that the, the FDA is going to say, look, we knew it all along. You're marketing to children. These are just like Swisher Sweets, you know, which the, 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 drug, the cancer-free America or whatever against kids, they say that they're they going after kids. So I think that anytime that a, a manufacturer makes a brand like that, it hurts everybody else. And I think that's where Carlito's point was right on. Yeah, um, I agree. So I don't, I, I don't necessarily approve of, in my mind, of what Risty did, but at the same token, I don't think he deserved to be the, the eye of the storm for it. Um, as an industry, this is, He's not this the, first. Is the PC yeah. issued their letter. He's not the first and he won't be the last. Um, I also have a big issue with, uh, you know, a lot of these companies going after trademarks and trade dress too. Um, so I, I don't think it does anybody any favors and it ends up hurting the industry as a whole. Um, I, if I could have talked with Risty three years ago, I would have been like, you know, bro, you're already on the radar for the, you know, the fuck the FDA cigar. And now you're going to have this cigar, you know, it, you know I'm a regulator. I'm going to say, well, if, if Risty's done it, then I have to assume that George Padron's doing it. And it, it just, it hurts the industry as a whole. Um, you know, as far as Pravada goes, I mean, Brian is irreverent. I think Brian is an example of somebody who does a lot of good things for the cigar industry. Uh, he's not, he's not afraid to innovate. He's not afraid to try to do new things. And I think that's great. Uh, but to echo some of your prior comments, I think Drew Estate has shown us that, Hey, we can have fun and we can be irreverent, but we don't have to do it in a way that is going to cause all kinds of issues. Cause the FDA has been pretty clear about flavors and pretty clear about, uh, marketing to kids. So no, I don't think that it was good for Risty to, he should have just shelved this project in my opinion, but at the same token, I don't think he should have gotten all the heat that he got. Um, and that's why I really like Carlito's perspective that um, you are affecting everybody. And I don't, I think it goes back to our conversation earlier about apathy. People just don't believe it's, it's going to happen to them. And I think that uh, we are going to have a, a real challenge. I mean, one of the things that, I know that people who have gone and lobbied for Congress will talk about is they, they try to tell them how a premium cigar is different. And then the FDA or the Congress person will say, hey, well, what about this packaging? And it puts you back at square one. Well, that's what Charlie um, had in his article. He actually it, wrote up. Yeah, a, and I agree. I like, agree with Charlie 100 yeah, yeah. percent. But but he basically provided a manifesto that the FDA will use against us. So I think that. I would have rather seen an article from Charlie that said, you know, the, instead, instead of Charlie going on all these shows and publicly saying the PCA's letter sucked, which he, he's entitled to his opinion. He's very well respected. I think Charlie would have done the industry a better service. And if he would have written a reasoned article saying, you know, the PCA has come out with this letter, maybe it's, maybe it's too harsh or maybe it's too soft, what have you, but the subjects out there, and as an editorial, you know, we need to make sure as manufacturers and retailers and consumers that we don't support these products and that the PCA and the CRA need to do more 
to uh, regulate these types of issues or the government's going to regulate it for them. Because if you don't self-regulate in an industry, the government will be more than happy to do it. But I think by naming names and highlighting Risty's product, he's actually probably done more harm than good. And But I understand Charlie's frustration. Charlie is extremely educated about this topic. He's, you know, you can say what you want to about Charlie Minato, but he is very passionate. He wants this industry to succeed. He wants to be a positive force for the industry. And I think by naming names and getting into particulars, I think he may have hurt the industry probably 10 times more than Risty's product could have hurt the industry because it just lays out the case for the FDA. I would have much rather seen a less passionate, less emotional, uh, 10 page release about how the PCA has uh, provided this. It would be good to see that be more teeth in it per se, and to speak in generalities because once you put something on paper, you know, you've got a leading trade publication for the cigar industry is now on point saying that this is a rapid problem. And that's not going to be ignored. The regulators are going to see that article. They're going to read it and it's not going to be good for anybody. So I think he actually made a mountain out of a molehill. Couple of things, Jay. Um, you said a lot of good things. Where is everybody else besides Carlito? On this, I mean, people. I mean, I would expect there's there has not been a lot like other than Carlito and maybe Jose. I haven't seen any and, and Jeremiah like, outside that Fuente thing. I haven't seen anyone else like speak out on on some of this stuff. And well, I think it's part of the apathy issue. Yeah, you know, to quote Carlito, a, a lot of manufacturers in our industry and a lot of retailers don't, don't have any fucking balls. You know, they they need to stand up and be adults. Um, I used to carry Pravada and I started seeing some of the releases coming out. And besides the fact that, sorry, Brian, some of the cigars just weren't very good. Uh, some of them were. Right. I decided that for my store, that was not a direction we wanted to go in. You know, we recently did bring in a cigar from Brian that uh, he, he worked with Christian on the LCA 21. Elegant packaging, great cigar. Brian deserves an A plus for that. And I would like to see more of that from Pravada because I think that's where Brian adds value. Brian is part of our industry. I said it. Brian's got the creative welcome. mind. Yeah, he's got a creative mind. Absolutely. He's, he's look, very, look, very talented. And I have a lot of respect for Brian. Yeah. But I, I think that there's, there's a time that you have to grow up. And uh, I think that the industry as a whole needs to grow up. And we need more. You know, there are a lot of people that, that have the bully pulpit who could have spoken up. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. members of CRA um, and other manufacturers, other retailers, um, but nothing. And to me, it's disappointing that Carlitos is the only voice. Um, and I know that there are other people that may, may, may agree with him, but they need to speak up. And there's a lot of people, and I'm not going to name names, but there are a lot of people that are very involved in social media. It would have been good for them to issue a statement saying, hey, we agree with the PCA. And, and I don't mean this as a shot of Carlito, but it'd been a great to see a statement from the CRA saying we agree with the PCA or great to see a statement from the CAA. We agree with the PCA or great to see a statement from the TAA. We agree with the TCA or great to see a statement from NATO. Um, and we haven't seen that. And I think that manufacturers are once again wrapped up in apathy. Um, and like I said, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but there can't just be one voice in the industry. No, I mean, um, if, if, if we, uh, like you said, if, if all these people started speaking up and, and, and so, I mean, and PCA did to some extent already. So PCA, actually, I think the narrative was introduced this year by you guys. And I think it was good you guys introduced it. Um, and, and we introduced it in a very vague way. 
intentionally because we don't want, we did not want to say to the FDA, hey, this is a rampant problem. We want to say this is something we should avoid. And you have to put your lawyer hat on and recognize that as much as I, I love to shoot my mouth off, sometimes it's better not to say anything. And I think that, that more damage has been caused by this um, because I think Brian could be a, a, a very good ally in this industry. He ha- he has a lot of intelligence and he right. definitely uh, attracts a lot of consumers. And I would have liked to have seen some videos from him highlighting about the great cigars that he's going to have coming forth. And re- rather than taking time to attack Carlito and, and female influencers and, and to uh, attack previous ads from Drew Estate or Fuente that the FDA has already pointed out. Um, it's like people are being immature. And this is, you know, when I, when I sell cigars, it, I, I bought a couple computers for my kids today. That wasn't cheap. I got to sell a lot of cigars to, to do that. And we'll try to provide for our families, whether we're a manufacturer or a retailer or a broker or media, we're trying to provide for our families and we're trying to live the American dream. And it's unfortunate that, some people in this conversation have not been a very adult. I have to give credit to Risty. Risty could have just blown off. Instead, he's just like, well, I'm going to talk about this in Abe's show. And uh, Risty's a smart guy. And I think even Risty recognized, and I hate to put words in his mouth, that you know, there's no point in adding fuel to the fire. He made his announcement. Uh, I questioned the timing, but uh, if this was going to happen, you know, he picked the right time to certainly do it, to create a, you know, a story, a talk, and certainly talked about. I just questioned the timing of it because I it's too coincidental. Was he really planning on doing this uh, March first? I, I don't know or end of February. I don't know. That's that's I don't I don't have the answer to that. It, it was a little too coincidental, I think, for me. Um, but you know, it is what it is. It, it has the board like so. This article from Charlie, it, it's it's been huge. Has the board at all like discussed this article? Like the things you're talking about, are these things that is your opinion or has the board actually had discussions on this right now? Well, as far as our letter or as far as Charlie went out? As far as Charlie. Uh, I know the board is going to be meeting next week to talk about uh, all the things that have happened. And uh, we're going to certainly talk about Charlie's article. But other than some conversations that I've had, you know, texting with, with Josh or Scott Pierce, uh, there hasn't been any major discussions that I'm aware of, but I know the board's going to talk about it next week. Yeah. Um, like, how, how do you do damage control on this? And I mean, the goal is if I think Scott Pierce's idea, and obviously he'd be better to address than I would, but I think Scott's been a big proponent of self-regulation. Uh, I've, I've seen that in the legal industry, and I've seen that in the financial planning industry, that if you self-regulate, you know, ideally, we'd like to be able to say to the PCA, I mean, to the FDA, that these are the model things that we expect from a, a retailer as a member of the PCA. They're going to do, they're going to verify age, they're going to make sure they don't put products in their shelves that appeal to children, that they're going to strictly enforce this as an adult product. They're going to maintain certain standards for their, um, their shops. And I know that self-regulation is the direction they want to go. Um, but articles like this certainly don't help our case for that. You know, one thing I criticized the Boutique Cigar Association on, and they're not happy with me, but I said, I don't, they will, They came out because they favored self-regulate. They come up with this statement, right? But they're, here's a good example, and I'm not trying to be, they're selling, they're selling cigars to Provada, for example, right? 
So, and obviously, Pravada is one of the things on the on the crosshairs. But are you really gonna are they really gonna stop doing that? These companies, I mean, and and should they stop doing it? You know, you know, it's part of the, if Pravada's carrying their product in good faith. You know, so and are they breaking any regulation by doing it? I, I just think that I, I think. Go ahead. I think that for a lot of manufacturers, they, they like the idea of these mail services uh, like Stogie Bird or Luxury Cigar Club and uh, Pravada where they can, they, they can sort of try things. I mean, certainly manufacturers are maxed out. There's no reason to send cigars to Pravada where they can't meet the regular demands. But I think it, it helps a company uh, to release something to a mail service and, and get more exposure to their product. I think that they are a necessary segment of the business now. Um, but yeah, I think- No, I agree. And I totally agree with that. That's why- Exercise I, more discretion. That's why I just don't, I don't know how practical it is. And Charlie pointed out a lot of things, the problems with self-regulation though. So I think, you know, that, that there's a lot that would need to be done in the, in, like, yeah, there's a lot that would need to be done in the industry. Um. I don't know how the industry is going to go by. So I, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, this industry, I, I can't. See I, don't, I don't either. Regulating. I can't see them self-regulating. Jay. A proposal that that I made at the last PCA board meeting, and I don't know if it was accepted or rejected. It was just an idea. I said that any product that is on the trade show floor, uh, that marks the children, uh, should be taken off the floor, and if the company. Um, has multiple products, maybe just tell them they, they can't be on the floor. And that anytime a manufacturer releases a product, uh, a scathing letter should come to them from the PCA and the CRA and say, you need to not, you need to cease and desist from this. Um, you know, other trade organizations uh, have that kind of power. I, one of the things that you and I have talked a lot about is the shaft regulations. Yep, which we're going to get to as well. well yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the mobile carriers have said flat out to, companies that provide software that, Hey, we don't want you, we're going to, we do not want you to send out things that deal with, you know, human slavery and this and that, and it includes tobacco in it. Yep. And I think that the PCA does need to take a more active role in dealing with manufacturers and with retailers. And I think the CRA needs to be involved in that and then the CA as well, where they say, Hey, we really don't think you should do this. Um, but ultimately I think this issue would not exist but for the manufacturers. And I think it comes down to greed. A manufacturer, somebody made that cigar for Risty. Somebody's making these cigars for Resign. Somebody's making these cigars for Bravada. And a manufacturer has the right to say, we're not going to do that. I know of a case uh, last year where there was a product that was going to be released and the manufacturer felt that there was an issue with uh, trademark and trade dress and addressed the person that owned it and said, hey, we're just not going to do that. And, uh, you know, the person that did that, I kudos to that person, that, that manufacturer stood up and manufacturers are the first and it should be the last line of defense. Manufacturers need to put the welfare of the industry ahead of profits and say, we're happy to make this cigar for you, but you are not going to uh, put that label on that cigar because it, it damages the industry. And I think manufacturers need to stand up and, and I, it, uh, the only thing I can conclude is that it's, it's a greed issue They need that extra, you know, $20,000 for that short run of cigars uh, where the, the manufacturer can say, look, we're going to make you the cigar, but you can't call it that. Sorry. We just can't do business with you that way. 
Um, and that's that's where the, the it needs to be dealt with. The manufacturers aren't standing up to that. Um, so I hold the manufacturers responsible because we can sit here and we can complain about Ezra Zine or we can complain about provider or call or whatever. Where the hell is the manufacturer saying you are not going to do that to our cigar? We're not going to sell you that cigar. And we'll sell that cigar to somebody else and then call it something else. And the uh, manufacturers okay. have not done that. I'll piggyback on that a little bit, Jay. Um, kind of go back, going back to the PCA a little bit. I don't, in my opinion, this is not PCA's responsibility whatsoever. Um, and they shouldn't be held as responsible for trying to stop this yeah. mm-hmm. because it's look, there's there, there may be companies doing this that are not members of the PCA. Now the PCA can still send a letter to them saying, you know, as you know, whatever role the PCA plays, we have the best interest of the industry in, in our mind and all this stuff and what you're doing, we feel is negative, but you know, they could say pack sand. I'm not even a member of your organization, whatever it is. So, you know, the PCA can have that, try to play that role, but I don't think it's their job to do so. Yeah. Um, you know, they can do what they can to try to prevent it. But like I said, I don't, I don't think they should be held as the, the authority in regards to trying to stop this. Um, you, what you say in regards to the manufacturers, I completely agree with you on that. Um, they, the manufacturers do have the ability to not provide cigars to the companies that want to brand their cigars that way. Um, you know, they may not know what the branding is going to be. They may just be sending naked cigars and they could be banning them, you know, at the whatever. So that's a, kind of a way that, you know, they may not know about it. Um, but the other thing is that some of these, some of these companies that do this either have their own factories or they have a specific partner yep. for all their blends. So what you're at that point, you can't, you know, you can't have these manufacturers kind of spread around that are saying no to this because, there's dedicated people that are kind of basically in the, you know, in cahoots with this, these companies to make this happen. Um, so I think it's, um, I think it's a multi-tiered approach. It's basically factories knowing what their customers are doing, you know, being, uh, you know, discerning about who they do business with and things like that. Um, also retailers, not buying these products to sell in their stores or whatever it is. Um, you know, but I think what we come into that thing is, is what you talk about in regards to greed. There's money now. There may not be money later because they're out of business, but that doesn't matter to me at the moment. It's I'm gonna get the money now. And if I don't have a business later, I'll deal with it then. But they don't even think about that part. Like you said, they, they don't think it's going to happen to them. Um, but the other thing I'm going to say is I'm going to put this also on other brand owners. There are other brand owners in this industry that have a lot of clout. They can lean on factories. They can lean on tobacco brokers. They can lean on tobacco growers and they can squash a lot of this instantly and it's not being done. And um, a lot of people are chirping on social media about they don't like it. Stop talking about it. Do it. It will be done. You can do it in a week and it will be over. It's you guys are talking a bunch of bullshit. Do action, it'll be over with. It's easy. Stop talking about it. That's what yeah, I have to say. That's I agree on that. The only thing I'll say, Aaron, to add on to that is let's say there's nothing to stop like someone from doing this to find some factory in like Panama. I'm going to use Panama as an example that's rolling stuff that would sell them, you know, stuff that they can just. Go direct to that one fact, and and they're not affiliated with any of these big brands. 
and they can ultimately still do this, unfortunately. I mean, I don't know what Ezra Zion's factory situation is. I, I think they roll some of the stuff, and I think they buy some of the stuff, but they're not, you know, I don't know how much their effect, I mean, I don't know how much that would affect Ezra Zion, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I think they're rolling some of that stuff in Texas. So I, I don't think it's going to be a silver bullet, unfortunately, but I think you would nip a big part of this problem there. And oh, by the way, you know, I'm not against, you know, these guys, you know, producing these small batch releases. Um, I think that is good for the industry, but I think if you just take this one piece out, um, you would just, uh, they would still do great. That's my point. Yeah, and I, I agree with uh, Aaron that it has to be a multi-level approach. If you have PCA barking at you, you have CAA barking at you. Look at the, I think there's what, three major companies that do labels, Action Label, Cigar Rings, and Brydag. Their company, those companies can say, hey, we're not going to print these labels for you. You know, print them off your computer if you want to. Uh, also, Pro Cigar and Nica Sabor, th- those, those organizations can also, Pro Cigar can say, look, you know, we're going to work with the Dominican government to shut you down if you're producing cigars like this, and they have the juice to do it. So I think if, so you, you need the manufacturers, you need the, the, the packaging people, you need everybody saying we're not going to support this. And if something still gets rolled in Texas and they print it off their, their iMac, well, you know, you, you can't control that. Uh, and then once again, retailers, uh, now obviously retailers isn't going to affect us design because they're selling direct to consumer. Um, and ultimately that's where consumer is going to have to make the decision uh, to not support it or, or unsupport it or whatever, but it, the consumers are the apathy level is very high. But I think if you have a multi-pronged approach from multiple organizations, it will effectively stamp out the problem. But it can't just be Charlie. It can't just be Carlito. It can't just be developing pallets. It's got to be the manufacturers, the retailers, the trade organizations, uh, companies like uh, organizations like Pro Cigar and the the label makers uh, to say, we're not going to supply supplies for you. And all of a sudden, it becomes a lot more difficult. And then guys like Brian at Provada, they're smart enough. He'll make great cigars that that don't resemble Sesame street characters and he'll do fine in the industry. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I still think it's, you know, I'm going to again, put, I, I think it's a tough, like when you end up packaging, that's a really tough thing because I actually think they could do like, Hey, nothing hard. Uh, you, you just do an unbanded cigar. You put, you put a uh, craft paper around it and stick a sticker on it. And, and guess what? You get around the, that problem. So I think I, but I, but, yeah, I do but think, I do think you could still stamp out a lot of it, but yeah, but there are ways, there are ways they're going to get around this. So I, I think it's a matter, like I think Aaron said, if you really address this on, on a lot of fronts, I don't think you'll ever eliminate it, but you know, it's, you know, and Jay, this is where I kind of was a little more critical of the PCA statement. I understand what you're saying being soft. The part I had the issue with was to say that this wasn't a rampant problem. It is. That's my point. It, it was, so well, that's the one I disagree you, with. Yeah. Want the PCA? Well, you know, one of the ex- I, I'm going to put on my lawyer hat. One of the exceptions to the hearsay rule: an out of court statement cannot be uh, provided as truth to the matter asserted. Is you make an admission. If the PCA puts out a document that says that this is a widespread problem, that will be Exhibit B in a court filing for summary judgment saying that this is a problem and we have admitted it. So the PCA, 
right. in my opinion, drafted an appropriate letter because uh, sometimes what you say will be used against you. Understood. And I, I would just love to, I would just love detail that Charlie missed. Yeah, I would have just left the comment out about, hey, this isn't a rampant problem. Man. We, 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 it's a couple. Yeah, I would just left that sentence out. I understand what you're saying. That's but they, they said it was rare. And I would say that when you consider the vast majority of things that are coming to retailer shelves, it is rare. It's probably two or three percent of what's coming out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 certainly a problem. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, uh, Pete Johnson reached out to me this week and. You know, he has something coming out that is not in any way marketing to children, but he just wanted to be extra careful and was looking for advice from the PCA. There's an example of somebody who's a leader, right. looking for input, who he didn't have something that was appealing to children, but he just wanted to make sure that he crossed all his T's and dotted his I's. You need more people like Pete in the industry that right. are going to err on the side of caution, and we need to see more of that. And that's a an example of self-regulation that's working and yeah. pete's not the only one there are a lot of companies that are very concerned about doing it right you know you don't see la florida minicana coming out with a hazelnut cherry cigar that looks like a starburst or whatever i mean so there are a lot of companies that they, they do self-regulate and they're yeah. doing a good job of it so i don't mean to throw everybody in the bus um no, I, 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 there's some of that certainly on that as well Certainly not as well. So uh, I, I think this is going to be a big topic over the next uh, few weeks for sure. All right. Um, Jed, I was going to talk a little about the chef stuff um, to wrap up. Because um, you mentioned it earlier, but we'll do brief because I know this is not necessarily. But for folks who may not have heard of Shaft and what's going on, maybe you could just uh, enlighten some folks on that. Well, I'm certainly not the expert in it. Uh, Josh at uh, PCA is much more of an expert. Yeah. But basically, the um, the big mobile carriers, you know, T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, all those people, uh, they don't want things going over text messages that are going to be, I don't know what the term is, I'll say dangerous. Things that deal with like human trafficking or hurting people. And and one of the, the, the things that gets included is tobacco use, which is not on the same level with that. And they have, so what they've said is we're going to just block text messages. We're not going to let them go out. So the example came up this week that Lightspeed, which is a point of sale uh, software that a lot of retailers use, um, you pay for sending out text messages. Let's say you're advertising a new cigar or something. And Lightspeed just said, look, we're going to, we're going to cut off this functionality uh, so that you cannot let your customers knowing that you're going to have a Rock of event, for example. They're going to say, this deals with tobacco, so we think that uh, that violates shafts. So we're just not going to let you, we're just going to block your text messages, even though you paid for it. So the PCA has been uh, working with that trade group. We sent them some letters and saying, look, you know, tobacco is very different from human trafficking and these other types of issues that are trying to be addressed by, by shafts. And particularly premium cigars is very different because we're the premium cigar association. So that's where our bailiwick is. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. And obviously I didn't do it justice. Josh is much more of an expert yeah. than I am. Um, but I think it'd be great to have Josh on for a show to talk about yeah. Jeff because it's one of those things that's lurking, kind of like the banking thing that happened a few years ago. I think Jeff from Corona talked about that uh, a few weeks ago. Joke point, yeah, yeah. point. You know, Jeff Warshowitz did a good job talking about that. Yeah. 
No, it's a, like I said, it was something that really uh, a lot of the retailers in North Carolina, they all kind of uh, like they I don't know how it is in Texas, but North Carolina, a lot of retailers were using the text message thing. Um, and then, you know, when I when I heard it stop, I, I started asking questions. I talked to Todd Johnson, who's a board member. And then I talked to you and, 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 and Josh. and I got some good information. Uh, it sounds like they're trying to get an exemption for premium cigars with this. I don't know how successful they'll be at it, though. Um, it, it obviously worries me because I think I, I talked to Josh a little more on this and there could be bigger reaching things. Like if Google decides to block this type of content and stuff like that, there's some serious ramifications. So, um, you know, it, I think they're trying to get ahead of this right now. It's just text messages now, but it could get bigger than this. So like this show, you know, and yeah. Oh yeah. One thing that happened. You know, and, and I, I, I was very disappointed, and I'm going to get in trouble, but I don't care. Um, I was disappointed that the CRA and the PCA and the Cigar Rates of the World made no mention of what happened in Singapore with Ministry of Cigars. And to me, that's an, that, that is something that should have been – there should have at least been a statement about that because those are the types of things that they're coming because governments look and see what other governments have done. And – there's there's issues now with banks wanting to process credit cards to deal with tobacco. There's only two banks in the United States that will um, allow that. Other banks will have like a, a liability type thing where you, you pay for an insurance contract. But that's becoming an issue that it could become a real problem if these other two banks fold uh, into the pressure that tobacco retailers may be like marijuana producers. They may not be able to accept credit cards in the future. And that can really strangle your business. Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, I'll tell you what I did. Um, a few years ago, I changed my LLC name. Uh, I had the name Lajero in it, and I took it out because of uh, I didn't want to have a problem. Like this is still when Choke Point was going on. So uh, yeah, I took it out. I just renamed my. LLC. I started a whole new LLC and moved everything over there, just because I didn't want to have to deal with it down the road. And you know, I don't have any mention of tobacco, a tobacco term even in it at this point. So, yeah, it's something definitely to, to watch for sure. All right, guys, anything else before we want to wrap up, Aaron? No, I think we're good. Okay. Jay, before we kind of uh, close out, I'm just going to mention a, uh, a few programming notes. Um, I'll go through the schedule. Uh, there's a lot going on Coop next week. On uh, Monday, we have Primetime Jukebox. We're doing our uh, annual, it used to be Battle of the Bands. It's now called 90s Madness. Uh, we're going to be drafting uh, a series of albums from the 1990s. We're going to have uh, McTavish and uh, Hector Alfonso joining Dave Burke and I for a draft show where we draft our, uh, our selections that will go into the tournament. So that's always a lot of fun. We'll be doing that Monday. Uh, that's episode 66. Next Tuesday, Bear and I have a show. We're going through our aging experiment. Um, and I forget which cigar we're aging experiment now. I sh- oh, I should notice. I'm doing a bite <laughs> because we're already in the middle of it. So, but I'm, I'm not going to prolong the thing on Wednesday. Uh, ben Lee and I will be doing a, uh, Casada corner. We'll be doing the Casada 1974. Uh, and then next Thursday, uh, we'll be back for primetime episode 222 with Tony Bellotto. So, uh, it's a full week for me next week. Uh, after having a week off. So who, whose show are you going to do on Friday? None. Oh, come on. You can't break the streak. I you, got show, you got a show on Saturday, right? So you got to do one Friday. So you, 
the whole week going. Oh uh, yeah, I got Kane. Yeah, dojo. There you go. Yeah. I... <laughs> oh no no no. I mean uh, uh, and then that probably probably in the week after. So uh, I, I'll have a break. But yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> it's, thanks. Um, I guess we can always find a show to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing a yeah, and Dan Thompson's on KMA this Saturday, so that should be fun too. Yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah, we got a lot going on with that. Um, and then you'll see my recaps from Pro Cigar, which I've been trying to write all week. Um, getting a little distracted. Um, yeah. but I should have the next recap up by the weekend. So, um, that will be all about the Fuente stuff, and there'll be another piece on the floor coming up. So, um, lots of stuff going on. But Jay, uh, we did take you into bear territory almost. So I want to. Uh, <laughs> Once you hit two and a half hours, it's bear territory. So uh, we did, but we do appreciate you. It's great to have you on the show. Finally, uh, it was long overdue on our part. I look forward to having you back for sure. It was fun. Thank you very much. And thank you for letting me shoot off my mouth. I'll probably get some texts and phone calls in the morning and get in trouble. But I don't think you did anything that would get you in trouble. So you can blame me and Aaron. So, All right. Um, but thanks to our audience uh, for tuning in. Um, that's going to wrap up Primetime episode 221 into the Annals of History for Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. Now March 4th on the Eastern Time Zone. We'll see everybody next week. Take care, everybody. See you guys. Bye-bye.